Welcome to the Ken Briggs Show. Today we're going to have a guest from the Rochester, Minnesota area who's been into the hobby just about as long as I have, 40-some years plus. His name is Bruce Kennedy, and I want to welcome Bruce to the show. Welcome, Bruce. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, how long have you been detecting? Uh, I started in about 1973, I believe. What got you into uh, this great hobby? Well, you know, I guess my interest started in coins. I, uh, you know, I collected uh, coins in the early 60s. You know, I was trying to collect silver coins at that time. And I looked for silver coins in change in the early days. And, of course, you could find a lot of them then. Oh, yeah. Not like now. That's right. Uh, and I, I just thought it was uh, a little expensive to be able, you know, I wasn't, you know, I was still in school. I wasn't working, and, and it was getting expensive, you know, to trade, uh, you know, a dollar for, you know, two half dollars, you know, in silver just to put into a coin collection. So I never could afford to, to buy too many. Right. Um, and what got me started in the hobby, too, was I saw some detector ads in the early 70s. They were in some uh, magazines that I received, and, and I started, apply, you know, writing letters to these companies and requesting information. And I remember I bought my first detector in 1974. I think I paid $39 for it. What was that detector? It was a Jetco Mustang. Okay. I bought it at J.C. Penney. It was $39. It was an old BFO, and uh, it was a good machine. I found a lot of coins with that thing my first year. And after getting that, I realized, hey, this, this might be worth investing a little bit more to get a little bit better machine. So I, of course, started working my way up mm-hmm. after that. But I had that first machine probably for a few months before I upgraded. What first? What was your first coin find when you found, when you... Uh... If I remember, I, if, if I remember correctly, I was still living at home and I had it in my folks' front yard. I was, I was hunting in their front yard and the first coin I found was a 1947 Roosevelt dime. And I mean that got me hooked, really, <laughs> big time. My uh, my girlfriend at the time, who's my wife now, was with me, and uh, we were out well into the you know midnight, you know messing around in the backyard with that thing. I mean, she went and got a flashlight, and I just couldn't put the thing down. So, <laughs> uh, I got hooked. I got hooked on it big time since. And in fact, I remember the first check that I wrote. When, once we got married and I had a checking account, the very first check that I wrote after we were married was for a metal detector. So mm-hmm. that sort of tells you my uh, my interest in the hobby. Just about as long as I've been into it. Yep, yep. I, I turned, it'd be 51 years this year, so. And it's oh, a great hobby. 40. I mean, do you have any kids that are in the uh, hobby world of it? Or well, not? I had, you know, I got one child, one boy, he's like 40 now Mm -hmm. and uh he's been interested in it to a certain degree uh i could never get him real you know real turned on to it but um he came he attended one of our club outings that we had and he ended up winning uh 
the detector which you donated actually it was that Orinoco hunt that we had uh-huh. in Orinoco Minnesota yep and he won the he won the Garrett detector that we were you were giving away for that that Ace three what was it Ace two fifty or Ace, yep. Ace, Ace three fifty yeah I think it's the Ace two fifty still got it and you know he joined the club here a few years ago. And he's, he's interested in it, but he's got so many other things going on right now that uh, between him and work and, and his dog and everything else, he's got very little time. But he's gone out a few times with me and found a few things. And oh, good. He enjoys it. How about your wife? Does she still get out with you? or? She Well, she never got interested in metal detecting, but she's very patient. She's willing to sit in the car mm-hmm. for hours on end. Like my wife. Hand. Yeah, she'll sit in the car and um and just you know read magazines or whatever and it was kind of funny one time we were we were in an old fairgrounds it was getting kind of towards the end of the season it was cool but the sun was warm and she was sitting in the car reading her magazines and wasn't even paying any attention to the surroundings and i went back to the car to put the machine away and the whole inside of the car was covered with flies they were trying to you know get in the car to get warm she didn't even notice them i mean i had to drive the thing about 60 miles an hour for about half an hour just to get most of them to fly out of there so but she's she's enjoyed that part of it she likes traveling around and riding in the car and stuff yeah we try to do that occasionally on weekends when we can just that's go good somewhere and, yeah my wife usually does book work and stuff she's not into the hobby but she'll go and sit like you like like your wife sit for hours and she'll do yeah. book work or or read so, a magazine yeah, or something she, and yeah, that's good. How about uh, different coins? I know uh, a friend of yours, who I've talked to quite often, said you've got uh, an Indian head penny collection. Well, yeah. When I well, when I first started, you know, you could find where. I mean, you'd go to a schoolyard, and you know, depending on the age of the school, you'd find coins from that time period. And yep. I remember finding. Early years, dimes and pennies were probably the most common finds right. that you would make, and that was one of my goals in my in my early years was to you know because I found so many dimes, I wanted to see how how close I could come to completing a set of dimes would be, starting with Roosevelt's and then going to Mercury's and then back to Barber. But I also collected Indian heads as well and Buffalo nickels. Mm-hmm. So I got a pretty good set of buffaloes. My Indian heads, I'm probably missing ooh, three or four, perhaps. But I did finally complete my mercury dime set mm-hmm. uh, by finding the by finding the uh, 1916 D, the key date, and I found that, believe it or not, in a park uh, back in 2012. And I found it in a park that, that was one of my first places I ever hunted with my detector. Mm-hmm. And I've been going back to this park for 40-some years, and so has everybody else. Uh-huh. And I found, that, I found that 16D dime about five or six inches deep, in the, about in the middle of the park where everybody and their brother has been. And I don't know how it got missed, but it did. Mm-hmm. And it was, a, it was a good one. It would grade strong, very fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of what got me interested in the, the collecting part. And I've since then tried to upgrade. So every time I'd find another coin, I'd try to upgrade it. You know, if it's a little bit better shape than the one I had, I'd replace it with that one. And so mm-hmm. on. But uh, that was my, my biggest goal and my biggest highlight of my life. Wow. To find that, 
that that was quite an accomplishment. Well, I guess, yeah. What about gold coins? Find any gold coins? I, I found one gold coin, and I found that about, gosh, when, when was that? About 75 or 76. And it was ironic because it was in a schoolyard here in Rochester. It was, the school was built in 19... 19- 16, I believe, mm-hmm. and according to my research on the school, there used to be a saloon that was located on that site, and my brother-in-law found a $2.5 gold piece in the front lawn of that schoolhouse back in 75 or 76, mm-hmm. and uh, he showed me the one he found, and every once in a while when we had nothing better to do, we'd you know, get together and we'd run over there and, and do some more hunting. Well, it had been a hot day. We went all the way over to Mondovi, Wisconsin, okay, to have a picnic. And, and I remember, I mean, this stuff you don't forget, right? Oh, yeah. No, you don't. Went to Mon- Mondovi, Wisconsin with my brother-in-law, and we got there, and it was so hot that day we couldn't even stand to be out. So we said, let's just drive home and we'll, let's let it cool off a little bit and then meet meet down at the schoolyard. Well, there was a park across the street from the school, too which was fairly old, and we found coins there. But we got to hunting, and it finally cooled off, and I, we had a bet going. He said, you know, the first one that finds the, the oldest coin has to buy the other one a can of beer or whatever it was. <laughs> and we're hunting, and, and I went across the street from the park over to the school, and I got a good signal, dug it up, and four inches deep of, you know, dry soil, I see the outline of this this coin and it was kind of gold color and Mm -hmm. i remembered finding some earlier uh uh, mercury dimes and they always had a kind of a yellowish hue to them almost like they were toned or something and Mm -hmm. i thought oh it's another mercury dime that's got that tone well when i picked it up right away i knew it's too heavy to be a a dime and i looked and it was a it was a gold coin and i hollered over my brother-in-law i says i says well i got it you know i got the the coin Uh he says well is it a an old coin, and I said, "Well, does a gold coin count?" And he just about <laughs> dropped it. I mean, his chin just about hit the street, and he come running over there. And sure enough, it was a nineteen nineteen oh nine two and a half dollar Indian. Wow! But that's the only one that I've ever found mm-hmm. with my detector. I've been around guys that have found them. I've seen them dug up. Uh, they're out there, but boy, I'll tell you, they're not very common around here. In no, they're not. What about caches? You ever run into a cache? Not really. No. The, one of the things, though, that got me interested in the hobby was one of the first places I went to try the, the detector. With, there's, a, there's a middle school here in Rochester. Mm-hmm. And behind the school, uh, it used to be a farmstead on that property. And there was a hill behind the school. And in the hill... There used to be a, a, it was a sandstone hill, and it was dug out for, I don't know if they used it for storage of, of uh, food in the summertime, mm-hmm. but that was what the, the word was that I heard on it. And uh, it was a spot that, that the kids would always go to and, and run around inside there. Well, one day they finally decided, you know, it's unsafe for these kids to be in there, so they boarded or they, they put a door on the thing. Mm-hmm. And being a kid, you know, I was probably in about, I don't know, who knows, I wasn't very old. Mm-hmm. But I went back to the school, and where this door was, I thought, well, that won't keep me out. All I got to do is dig underneath the door, you know. Mm-hmm. It was all sand. And so I started digging, and lo and behold, 
old. I got a, a, a rusty tin. Okay, we're back on. Go ahead. I lost you. Yeah. Well, like I said, I was I was digging underneath this door and uh, thinking I would crawl underneath it to get in, just to horse around. And I found this tin box that was fairly rusty, and I shook it, and there was something in it. And I I opened it up, and I found maybe I don't know two dollars and change. It was all. You know, vintage. You know, like I remember a barber half. I found a night. It was a 1912 barber half, and a bunch of pennies, some nickels, and I think a couple of dimes. It wasn't all, the, the total value on the thing was less than two bucks. I uh -huh. remember, but I was elated. I thought, holy cow, this is really cool. <laughs> and uh, you know, I used to play up there a lot, and I thought, well, that was cool. I remember I took it to the coin store and sold it immediately. Of course, uh -huh. you know. But another time I was back there, and we were horsing around on this hill, and I was running down a path, and I heard something, you know, I kind of tripped on a, on a stone or a rock or something, and I heard this kind of a ting, 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 and I, I looked, and here was another barber half dollar. I had kicked it up from somewhere. It was, obviously, it was laying there on the ground, and I, I kicked it up. Wow. But I kept that one, and I thought, ever since then, I thought, man, that's kind of cool, you know, it'd be kind of nice to have a metal detector. Well... I went and I went and tried that spot, you know, twenty or ten, twenty years later, probably uh -huh. with a better detector. And of course, they got no more signals under the door. But uh, right. there could still be stuff up in them woods. It's like I said, it was an old farmhouse that that they built the school on. Mm -hmm. And but there's so many pop cans and stuff back there now from kids nowadays that it was just about impossible to to hunt it. But that really got me going. Yeah, that, that was a closer to a cache, I guess I'd, I'd ever found. Huh? How about dog tags? You find anything like that? Dog tags, tags? Yeah, got some, got some nice dog tags. I've got uh, the best one that I've got, and I won't sell it. They've been after me to sell it, but it's it's from 1889. Mm. It's from the town of Henderson, Minnesota, which is a fairly small town over by, uh, kind of over by Mankato area, okay. right off the. Um, Minnesota River, mm -hmm. and it was number 10, so it would have been the number 10 dog tag from 1889, and I think the thing was lost even before the, it got put on the dog, because it was just pristine condition, no oh, wear wow. whatsoever on it, and it's a it's a rare piece, you know, I've been told. Right. Uh, I guess I've heard that anything pre-1900 is considered desirable, uh -huh. uh, and so I found, I think, a total of four from there, I've got a 19, no, 1890 from Minneapolis, and I've got a 1890, or was it 1890? Yeah, 1892 from Fountain City, Wisconsin. And I don't remember what the other one was. I think I got four of them that, that predated 1900, but I've also got quite a number of earlier ones, you know, 1910 to 1930s. In fact, I found in one yard, I found two consecutive ones from the same, uh, in the same yard. It was, they were both from 1923, and they each were one number apart as, as far as the serial number. So that person must have had 
like two dogs or something, and right. uh, they lost them both at the same time or something. Right. Uh, yeah, that was kind of cool. Yeah. What kind of machine you running these days? Well, right now I got the I still got the old uh, Mine Lab uh, Explorer SC Pro. Uh huh. And I've had pretty good luck with it, but uh, I still use and this is my favorite machine is my old faithful. Uh, Judge, or uh, not Judge Two, but uh, Garrett Freedom Two. Oh yeah. About 1976. Yep. Uh, I've got about three of them, and if I ever see another one, I'll buy it because uh, you can't have too many of them. But that that is one awesome machine, especially for the type of hunting I do now, which is a lot of the street construction stuff, mm-hmm. uh, where you're not depending a hundred percent on depth. Mm-hmm. But you need good discrimination, and that thing is just a, incredible for its ability to, to tune out nails and rusty stuff and mm-hmm. pin and, and, and pick out the coins. It won't get super, super depth, but, uh, you know, that's why I'd use a mine lab then. But uh, that old that old Freedom 2 has really been a, a good workhorse for me. Yeah, and they don't make the parts for that anymore either. No, I know it. Well, that's why I bought it. I think I got three of them now, and one one is almost brand new. Because so. I had one uh, but I've, guy come in uh, the shop and wanted to get one fixed, and I sent it in for him, and Garrett yep. said, nope, throw it away and buy a new one. <laughs> yeah, or find one that you can, if you can find a used one, try that. But, yeah, yeah. I know it. I, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of good detectors out there that will do the same thing, but that thing is so... Uh, has been so useful to me. It just works so good in that kind of conditioning. Right. Uh, that, you know, I prefer to use that over anything else. Yeah, Gareth uh, puts out a good my, machine, I'll tell you that. Well, those old ones are really good. I know some of the some of the models they came up with had some issues with their coils. Yep. And uh, I don't really, it seemed back in the day, it, 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 you had a hot one or you had one that wasn't so hot. Right. And uh, I know my, the first one I had was one of those really good ones, and then I bought another one, and I don't think it was nearly as good. Mm-hmm. At least it wouldn't go nearly as deep, and it had trouble. Uh, you couldn't, I, I think you, you couldn't even eliminate a nickel, if I remember right. You turn the, the scrim all the way up, and it would still pick up a nickel. Huh. But, uh, you know, it still works good. I still use it. I still find stuff with it, so mm-hmm. I'm going to continue to use it until... I no longer find anything with it, but it's been a good machine. That's good. What about clubs? Do you belong to any clubs? or? Yes, I started the club in Rochester. Um, What's the name of the club? Zumbro Valley Treasure Hunters. And we were established about 19, well, February of 1980. And the reason for the club being uh, there, I, I was detecting already for about six, seven years, and... In 1980, if you remember, there was a big, is when the, when the silver uh, skyrocketed. Yep. Back in 19, early part of 1980, I think, is when silver hit its high. And it was, I don't remember how much it was now, but I remember at that, I think it was like $3.80 some cents for a dime. Mm-hmm. So it was like 38, 38 times face value. Right. And, well, back then, because of the, the high price of silver, everybody and their brother were getting into metal detecting, and it was fine, except a lot of the guys that, that thought they were going to get rich quick decided they just did, it didn't matter where they went. They'd go on private yards, they'd go anywhere they felt like it, and 
it was bothering me because I thought, you know, this is going to put an end to the hobby before it even gets started. You know, and there's and, still a lot of that going on with these new people buying oh, machines, I, you know, from... I, I totally understand, but the thing that really took the cake was there was a rumor going around here in Rochester that there was going to be a, a new ordinance, a park ordinance, that they were going to put into place. And I, for some reason, thought it had to do with, you know, the banning of metal detectors. And I thought, I can't have that. Uh-huh. So I went and approached, well, I and another guy approached the Rochester Park Department people mm-hmm. and asked them what the scenario was. And they said, no, it wasn't a, it wasn't, a, it had to do with metal detecting. It had to do with dog ordinances. They were going to put a dog ordinance into place or something. Oh, okay. So it wasn't that. But then the guy that was the president or the head of the park board at that time was kind of interested. He says, yeah, he says, you know, I've, I've seen you guys out and about. He says, what do you find? And what, you know, what can you do with those things? And, and of course, we told him, well, it finds coins, but we find stuff for people, return jewelry and whatnot and this and that. And he thought, hey, that sounds like it would be kind of cool to have a, a group like you. And we were looking for a place to have a meeting. Mm-hmm. And he said, what we can do is we can, you know, put you in a place here in Rochester that we, we have control of, which was a nice old uh, doctor's mansion here in Rochester that they've converted into a, a public sort of area. They give tours. It's sort of like a museum now. Mm-hmm. They, they give you tours and stuff of it. But he uh, gave us a room in the basement. We had the whole room to ourselves. And, uh, and uh, he offered to sponsor our club. In fact, the first several years, they actually even printed our newsletters for us. Oh, wow. And I had the secretary print the newsletters for us that's nice well, we were there we were there for we were there for 30 years and finally one day we got a new a new uh director of parks and rec and he put a kibosh to that he thought you know they could be renting that room out for money rather than just giving it to somebody once a month and to this day i don't think they've ever rented that room out even once but that's too bad we found other places to meet yeah but it was nice because we had a room that we could lock up so we had our own library down there uh-huh. we could lock the room up and had the key for it nice it, it was it was just nice so yeah i've uh, got to give the the rochester park and rec people kudos for for their support back in the early days mm-hmm. uh, and so far we've been having good luck with them we've not had any issues with metal detectors ever in rochester so let's hope we can keep it that way but that was the main reason for starting the club i wanted to to try and get people in, to enjoy the hobby but to, to do it correctly and, and don't go to places without permission or places that you know are off limits and back in those days they didn't realize state parks were off limits you know, mm-hmm. they were even back then so right uh you know it's just good that we didn't ever have any problems with that uh ordeal and not but make it a big competition to where you know, that's, I'm going to get something before you do or whatever. Right, right. And, you know, we, we, we've always have, have had a great group of people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's slowed down tremendously in 40 years, but, you know, what do you expect? You know, the places are harder to find. People don't have as much patience. Right. And, you know, it, as much as I like the hobby, it's, it's hard. I mean, you go out and you, you might find one or two old coins, but you take the whole day in doing it, and it's like, well, what's more important, to get that or, or to mow the lawn and do your stuff you got to do at home? And, right. Uh, well, to me, it's always been the getting out and hunting because my, my thing on that is 
I just enjoy getting out and doing it. I mean, there's times I don't even care if I find anything. I just want to swing the machine, and I want to be in a spot. Just to be outside. Yeah, where, there, where there's a potential of finding anything. You know? Right. If it's not old, I don't care. I'll go to the old school ground down the street. You know, it's been hit about 40 million times, but right. just to see if somebody might have lost something recently, you know, a ring or something like that. So, yeah, that's one advantage uh, I've got that I can walk over to the fairgrounds it's so within walking distance or right. our Irvine Park has got 500 and some yep. acres to hunt I mean that those yep. places are well, not ever hunted out and they never will be no you know and, and one of the other things we've we've always tried to stress in our club is you know we, we've we've always tried to have some sort of a program at the meetings which is getting harder and harder to do there but right uh, we've offered our assistance to the police here in town and sheriff's department uh we did some work for with civil defense at one time uh locating valuable property markers things like that mm-hmm. and we've also uh participated in a, in a look uh looking for parts from a crashed airline if you remember back on oh, the what the heck was that early 80s there was airlines flight uh, 232 that went from i want to say chicago but it went to was going somewhere, and it lost the engine over the middle of Iowa. Uh-huh. It was the one that crashed. It did that cartwheel crash landing in uh, in uh, Sioux City, Iowa. Yep, yeah, I remember that. Well, the the engine, you know, came off the off the plane somewhere before it it, it fell to the ground. Well, it, when the when the engine came off, it severed all the hydraulic lines that gave the the ability for the plane to uh, go up or down. Right. So that was the reason. The crash. So General Electric was the company that manufactured the engine, and, and they were, of course, probably worrying about getting a lawsuit. And I think what's happening, I'm going to lose you here pretty soon because my phone's beeping at me. Okay. Well, let's see if there's any other. Oh, how many people were in your club when you started, and how many do they have now? Uh, yeah, we've had as many as 65 active members. You know, back in the early to mid '80s, and now we're just down to a handful of, you know, maybe ten or twelve, mm-hmm. fourteen people. But uh, what are the dues for try- in the club? I, I think right now I think they're thirty dollars annually, or thirty-five if if you want to join as a couple. Mm-hmm. So, like you and your wife, it would be thirty-five dollars a year, or if you just joined yourself, it'd be like thirty. Right. What about uh, email or website? Uh, how can people get a hold of either you or the club if they well, want to join? And where are the meetings held? The meetings are held at the First Ascension Church in Rochester. And I don't have the address right in front of me, but it's it's uh, right next to, to uh, a school. <laughs> Think of the school name. No, Willow Creek Junior High School. Okay. Um, it's right on the edge of the south end of town. Uh, it, Will, uh, Willow Creek Junior High School is there, and it's right next to that. It's called Ascension Lutheran Church. Okay. And we meet the second Wednesday every month, 7 o'clock, and anyone that's wel- that's interested in coming is welcome to attend without you know paying dues. If they want to come and just sit through the couple of meetings and see what we do that's fine we're not going to charge you a, a full membership mm-hmm. just for the newsletter and everything else but um, 
you know, we've tried to have more and more meeting topics, but it's harder and harder to get people to, to come uh, anymore to, to talk to people. Right. We could get some of the same old people back that we've had, and we do. We have done that and done quite well at it. So, mm-hmm. uh, but mainly we just like to get together and talk about the hobby and share what people find and have a find of the month competition, which is kind of a fun type of competition event. We don't have any uh, major, uh, you know, we aren't giving out major prizes or anything for who's got the best. We just, you know, it's more of a recognition. You get your name mentioned in the newsletters about it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, but it's a lot of fun. We, we try to encourage people to bring in anything that they found. So we do that by anyone that enters, a, even if it's a pull tab, we, we take that and put a put their name in a hat for a drawing at the end of the meeting. So even if you find nothing more than a pull tab for the month, you still might have a chance of winning a silver quarter or something like that. So. Right, right. And they, anybody out there that's listening to this and wants to join the club, they can also get a hold of myself. I'm also a member, even though I'm in Chippewa Falls. My daughter lives in St. Charles, just outside of Rochester, and I get down there quite often. So that's one of the reasons why I joined the club, and I handle the uh, Facebook page for Zumbro Valley. Uh, so if they want to get a hold of me, they can also do that. Right. So, okay, anything else that you can think of, Bruce, before we uh, close her out? Not really. Um, I just want to let you know, too, that a person doesn't have to invest a lot of money to get into this hobby. And an example of that is a fellow that used to be in our, our club. He lived over in La Crosse, found a $5 gold piece from the eight, uh, from Dahlonega, Georgia, Mint. It was dated 1842, and he found that with, with a Radio Shack detector. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is about a $30 detector. And so it can be done. And uh, he's I'll bet you that was a lot Pete Netzel, huh? Yep, yep. <laughs> yep, give him credit for that one. Yep. I know he found it because I saw it. Yep. So it was for real. Yeah, Pete told me about it, that you were hunting with him that time. Yep, yep. So. That's about all I can tell you here, Ken. Okay, well, I appreciate you coming on the show. And sure. uh, we'll probably have you on again down the road. Or, and uh, hope you have a great hunting season this year. I plan to be oh, at I the meeting I- on uh, March. Uh, myself yeah, and check on that. Check on that meeting day because I'm not sure if it's Wednesday or Thursday this month. Randy okay. would know that. But yeah, I'll, I'll check with Randy and see. But myself and Mike Schoonover will be down, and uh, we'll take in the meeting, and I'll be bringing in a bunch of equipment like I usually do. You know, uh, well, machines and stuff. You know, we love we love to have you, Ken. So I'll try talk to as many people as I can think of to try and get them to come to that meeting, too. Yep. Uh, you know, some of the people that don't come that often, and see if I can encourage them to show up for that kind of meeting, because in the past, that's always been our best meeting of the year, is that one in, the, you know, our, uh, March or May, you know, where, where we have dealers demonstrate what products are out and what's new and stuff right. for sale and things like that. So, looking forward to that, too. Yep. Alright, very good. Well, thanks again, Bruce, Thank for you. coming on, and like I said, happy hunting, and I'll see you probably in March. All right. Thank you, and take care. All right. You too, buddy. Bye. Bye. Bruce Kennedy from Rochester, Minnesota. He is the person that started Zumbro Valley Treasure Hunters in Minnesota. So 
if you want to get into that club, they've got a pretty decent little club going there. And you're interested in metal detecting, contact Bruce. Or you can get a hold of me and I'll put you in contact with either Bruce or Randy, who is the uh, club president right now. So until next time, you take care, God bless, and happy hunting. Welcome to the Ken Briggs Show. Today we're going to have a guest from the Rochester, Minnesota area who's been into the hobby just about as long as I have, 40-some years plus. His name is Bruce Kennedy, and I want to welcome Bruce to the show. Welcome, Bruce. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, how long have you been detecting? Uh, I started in about 1960. 73, I believe. What got you into uh, this great hobby? Well, you know, I guess my interest started in coins. I, uh, you know, I collected uh, coins in the early 60s. You know, I was trying to collect silver coins at that time. And I looked for silver coins in change in the early days. And, of course, you could find a lot of them then. Oh, yeah. Not like now. That's right. Uh, and I, I just thought it was uh, a little expensive to be able, you know, I wasn't, you know, I was still in school, I wasn't working, and, and it was getting expensive, you know, to trade, uh, you know, a dollar for, you know, two half dollars, you know, in silver just to put into a coin collection. So I never could afford to, to buy too many. Right. Um, and what got me started in the hobby, too, was I saw some detector ads in the early 70s. They were in some... Uh, magazines that I received and, and I started apply, you know writing letters to these companies and requesting information and I remember I bought my first detector in 1974 I think I paid $39 for it what it was that detector it was a Jetco Mustang okay I bought it at JC Penney it was $39 it was an old BFO and uh, it was a good machine I found a lot of coins with that thing my first year and after getting that, I realized, hey, this, this might be worth investing a little bit more to get a little bit better machine. So I, of course, started working my way up mm -hmm. after that. But I had that first machine probably for a few months before I upgraded. What, first, what was your first coin find when you found, when you... Uh... If, I remember, I, if, if I remember correctly, I was still living at home. And I had it in my folks' front yard. I was hunting in their front yard. And the first coin I found was a 1947 Roosevelt dime. And, I mean, that got me hooked. <laughs> really, big time. My, uh, my girlfriend at the time, who's my wife now, was with me. And uh, we were out well into the, you know, midnight, you know, messing around in the backyard with that thing. I mean, she went and got a flashlight, and I just couldn't put the thing down. So, uh, <laughs> I got hooked. I got hooked on it big time since. In fact, I remember the first check that I wrote when once we got married, and I had a checking account. The very first check that I wrote after we were married was for a metal detector. So mm -hmm. that sort of tells you my uh, my interest in the hobby. Just about as long as I've been into it. Yep. yep. I, I turned it'd be fifty one years this year. So, and it's a oh, great hobby. 40. I mean. Do you have any kids that are in the uh, hobby world 
of it? Or well, not? I had, you know, I got one child, one boy. He's like 43 now. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's been interested in it to a certain degree. Uh, I could never get him real, you know, real turned on to it. But um, he came, he attended one of our club outings that we had, and he ended up winning uh, the detector, which you donated, actually. It was that Orinoco hunt that we had uh-huh. in Orinoco, Minnesota. Yep. And he won the he won the Garrett detector that we were you were giving away for that, that Ace 3, what was it, Ace 250 or Ace, yep. Ace, Ace 350? Yeah, I think it's Ace 250. And he still got it. And, you know, he joined the club here a few years ago, and he's, he's interested in it, but he's got so many other things going on right now that uh, between him and work and, and his dog and everything else, he's got very little time. But he's gone out a few times with me and found a few things. And oh, good. He enjoys it. How about your wife? Does she still get out with you? or? She Well, she never got interested in metal detecting, but she's very patient. She's willing to sit in the car mm-hmm. for hours on end. Like my wife. Yeah, she'll sit in the car and um, and just, you know, read magazines or whatever. And it was kind of funny. One time we were we were in an old fairgrounds. It was getting kind of towards the end of the season. It was cool, but the sun was warm. And she was sitting in the car reading her magazines and wasn't even paying any attention to the surroundings. And I went back to the car to put the machine away, and the whole inside of the car was covered with flies. They were trying to, you know, get in the car to get warm. She didn't even notice them. I mean, I had to drive the thing about 60 miles an hour for about half an hour just to get most of them to fly out of there. So, but she's, she's enjoyed that part of it. She likes traveling around and riding in the car and stuff. Yeah. We try to do that occasionally on weekends when we can. Just That's go good. Somewhere and, yeah, my wife usually does book work and stuff. She's not into the hobby, but she'll go and sit like you, like, like your wife, sit for hours and she'll do yeah. book work or, or read yep. a magazine yeah, or something she, and yeah, that's good. How about uh, different coins? I know uh, a friend of yours, who I've talked to quite often, said you've got uh, an Indian head penny collection. Well, yeah. When I well, when I first started, you know, you could find where. I mean, you'd go to a schoolyard, and you know, depending on the age of the school, you'd find coins from that time period. Yeah. Remember finding. Early years, dimes and pennies were probably the most common finds right. that you would make, and that was one of my goals in my in my early years was to you know because I found so many dimes, I wanted to see how how close I could come to completing a set of dimes would be, starting with Roosevelt's and then going to Mercury's and then back to Barber. But I also collected Indian heads as well and Buffalo nickels. Mm-hmm. So I got a pretty good set of buffaloes. My Indian heads, I'm probably missing ooh, three or four, perhaps. But I did finally complete my mercury dime set mm-hmm. uh, by finding the by finding the uh, 1916 D, the key date, and I found that, believe it or not, in a park uh, back in 2012. And I found it in a park that, that was one of my first places I ever hunted with my detector. Mm-hmm. And I've been going back to this park for 40-some years, and so has everybody else. Uh-huh. And I found, that, I found that 16D dime about five or six inches deep, in the, about in the middle of the park where everybody and their brother has been. And I don't know how it got missed, but it did. Mm-hmm. And it was, a, it was a good one. It would grade strong, very fine. Mm-hmm. 
that's kind of what got me interested in the, the collecting part. And I've since then tried to upgrade. So every time I'd find another coin, I'd try to upgrade it. You know, if it's a little bit better shape than the one I had, I'd replace it with that one. And so mm-hmm. on. But uh, that was my, my biggest goal and my biggest highlight of my life. Wow. To find that find a complete set of mercury dies and that dimes and that includes the the 21d the 21 plane the 31s every one of them so mm-hmm. that that was quite an accomplishment well i guess yeah what about gold coins find any gold coins I, I found one gold coin and i found that about gosh when, when was that about 75 or 76 and it was ironic because it was in a schoolyard here in rochester it was the school was built in 19 16, I believe. Mm-hmm. And according to my research on the school, there used to be a saloon that was located on that site. And my brother-in-law found a $2.5 gold piece in the front lawn of that schoolhouse back in 75 or 76. Mm-hmm. And uh, he showed me the one he found. And every once in a while, when we had nothing better to do, we'd you know, get together and we'd run over there and, and do some more hunting. Well, it had been a hot day. We went all the way over to Mondovi, Wisconsin, okay, to have a picnic. And, and I remember, I mean, this stuff you don't forget, right? Oh, yeah. No, you don't. Went to Mon- Mondovi, Wisconsin with my brother-in-law, and we got there, and it was so hot that day we couldn't even stand to be out. So we said, let's just drive home and let's let it cool off a little bit and then meet meet down at the schoolyard. Well, there was a park across the street from the school, too which was fairly old, and we found coins there. But we got to hunting, and it finally cooled off, and I, we had a bet going. He said, you know, the first one that finds the, the oldest coin has to buy the other one a can of beer or whatever it was. <laughs> and we're hunting, and, and I went across the street from the park over to the school, and I got a good signal, dug it up, and four inches deep of, you know, dry soil, I see the outline of this this coin and it was kind of gold color and mm-hmm. i remembered finding some earlier uh, uh mercury dimes and they always had a kind of a yellowish hue to them almost like they were toned or something and mm-hmm. i thought oh it's another mercury dime that's got that tone well when i picked it up right away i knew it's too heavy to be a, a dime and i looked and it was a it was a gold coin oh, wow. and i hollered over at my brother-in-law i says i says well i got it you know i got the, the coin uh-huh. he says well it, is, is it a an old coin, and I said, "Well, does a gold coin count?" And he just about <laughs> dropped it. I mean, his chin just about hit the street. And he come running over there, and sure enough, it was a nineteen nineteen oh nine two and a half dollar Indian. Wow! But that's the only one that I've ever found mm-hmm. with my detector. I've been around guys that have found them. I've seen them dug up. Uh, they're out there, but boy, I'll tell you, they're not very common around here. In no, they're not. What about caches? You ever run into a cache? Not really. No. The one of the things though that got me interested in the hobby was one of the first places I went to try the the detector. With, there's a there's a middle school here in Rochester, mm-hmm. and behind the school, uh, it used to be a farmstead on that property, and there was a hill behind the school, and in the hill. There used to be a, it was a sandstone hill, and it was dug out for, I don't know if they used it for storage of, of uh, food in the summertime, mm-hmm. but that was what the, the word was that I heard on it. And uh, it was a spot that, that 
always go to and, and run around inside there. Well, one day they finally decided, you know, it's unsafe for these kids to be in there, so they boarded or they, they put a door on the thing. Mm-hmm. And being a kid, you know, I was probably in about, I don't know, who knows, I wasn't very old. Mm-hmm. But I went back to the school, and where this door was, I thought, well, that won't keep me out. All I got to do is dig underneath the door, you know. Mm-hmm. It was all sand. And so I started digging, and lo and behold, I got a, Okay, we're back on. Go ahead. I lost you. Yeah. Well, like I said, I was I was digging underneath this door and uh, thinking I would crawl underneath it to get in, just to horse around. And I found this tin box that was fairly rusty, and I shook it, and there was something in it. And I I opened it up, and I found maybe I don't know two dollars in change. It was all. You know, vintage. You know, like I remember a barber half. I found a night. It was a 1912 barber half, and a bunch of pennies, some nickels, and I think a couple of dimes. It wasn't all, the, the total value on the thing was less than two bucks. I uh-huh. remember, but I was elated. I thought, holy cow, this is really cool. <laughs> and uh, you know, I used to play up there a lot, and I thought, well, that was cool. I remember I took it to the coin store and sold it immediately. Of course, uh-huh. you know. But another time I was back there, and we were horsing around on this hill, and I was running down a path, and I heard something, you know, I kind of tripped on a, on a stone or a rock or something, and I heard this kind of a ting, 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 and I, I looked, and here was another barber half dollar. I had kicked it up from somewhere. It was, obviously, it was laying there on the ground, and I, I kicked it up. Wow. But I kept that one, and I thought, ever since then, I thought, man, that's kind of cool, you know, it'd be kind of nice to have a metal detector. Well... I went, and, I went and tried that spot, you know, 20 or 10, 20 years later probably uh-huh. with a better detector. And, of course, I'd got no more signals under the door, but uh, right. there could still be stuff up in them woods. It's Like I said, it was an old farmhouse that, that they built the school on, mm-hmm. and but there's so many pop cans and stuff back there now for kids nowadays that it was just about impossible to... To hunt it, but that really got me going. Yeah, that, that was the closest to a cache I guess I'd, I'd ever found. Huh? How about dog tags? You find anything like that? Dog tags, tags? Yeah, got some, got some nice dog tags. I've got uh, the best one that I've got, and I won't sell it. They've been after me to sell it, but it's it's from 1889. Mm. It's from the town of Henderson, Minnesota, which is a fairly small town over by, uh, kind of over by Mankato area, okay. right on the. Um, Minnesota River, mm-hmm. and it was number 10, so it would have been the number 10 dog tag from 1889, and I think the thing was lost even before the, it got put on the dog, because it was just pristine condition, no oh, wear wow. whatsoever on it, and it's a it's a rare piece, you know, I've been told. Right. Uh, I guess I've heard that anything pre-1900 is considered desirable, uh-huh. uh, and so I found, I think, a total of four from there. I've got a 19, no, 1890 from Minneapolis, and I've got a 1890, or was it 1890? Yeah, 1892 from Fountain City, Wisconsin. 
And I don't remember what the other one was. I think I got four of them that, that predated 1900. But I've also got quite a number of earlier ones, you know, 1910 to 1930s. In fact, I found in one yard, I found two consecutive ones from the same, uh, in the same yard. It was, they were both from 1923, and they each were one number apart as, as far as the serial number. So that person must have had like two dogs or something, and right. uh, they lost them both at the same time or something. Right. Uh, yeah, that was kind of cool. Yeah. What kind of machine you run in these days? Well, right now I got the, I still got the old uh, Mine Lab. Uh, Explorer SC Pro. Uh-huh. And I've had pretty good luck with it, but uh, I still use, and this is my favorite machine, is my old faithful uh, Judge, or not Judge 2, but uh, Garrett Freedom 2. Oh, yeah. About 1976. Yep. Uh, I've got about three of them, and if I ever see another one, I'll buy it, because uh, you can't have too many of them. But that, that is one awesome machine, especially for the type of hunting I do now, which is a lot of the street construction stuff, mm-hmm. uh, where you're not depending 100% on depth, mm-hmm. but you need good discrimination. And that thing is just a, incredible for its ability to, to tune out nails and rusty stuff and, mm-hmm. and, and, and pick out the coins. It won't get super, super depth, but... Uh, you know that's why I'd use a mine lab then, but uh, that old that old Freedom Two has really been a, a good workhorse for me. Yeah, and they don't make the parts for that anymore either. No, I know it. Well, that's why I bought. I think I got three of them now, and one one is almost brand new. So because I had one, uh, but I've, a guy come in uh, the shop and wanted to get one fixed, and I sent it in for him, and Garrett yep. said, "Nope, throw it away and buy a new one." a used one try that but yeah, yeah i know it i you know i'm sure there's a lot of good detectors out there that will do the same thing but that thing is so uh, has been so useful to me it just works so good in that kind of conditioning right uh, that you know i prefer to use that over anything else yeah gareth uh, puts out a good my, machine i'll tell you that well those old ones are really good i know some of the some of the models they came up with had some issues with their coils yep and uh, I don't really, it seemed back in the day, it, 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 you had a hot one or you had one that wasn't so hot. Right. And uh, I know my, the first one I had was one of those really good ones. And then I bought another one, and I don't think it was nearly as good. Mm-hmm. At least it wouldn't go nearly as deep, and it had trouble. Uh, you, you couldn't, I, I think you, you couldn't even eliminate a nickel, if I remember right. You turn the scrim all the way up, and it would still pick up a nickel. Huh. But... Uh, you know, it still works good. I still use it. I still find stuff with it. So mm-hmm. I'm going to continue to use it until I no longer find anything with it. But it's been a good machine. That's good. What about clubs? Do you belong to any clubs? or? Yes, I started the club in Rochester. Um, What's the name of the club? Zumbro Valley Treasure Hunters. And we were established about, 19, well, February of 1980. And the reason for the club being uh, there, I, I was detecting already for about six, seven years. And in 1980, if you remember, there was a big, is when the, when the silver uh, skyrocketed. Yep. Back in 19, early part of 1980, I think, is when silver hit its high. And it was, I don't remember how much it was now, but I remember at that, I think it was 
like three dollars and eighty some cents for a dime. Mm-hmm. So it was like thirty eight thirty eight times face value. Right. And well, back then, because of the the high price of silver, everybody and their brother were getting into metal detecting, and it was fine. Except a lot of the guys that that thought they were going to get rich quick decided they just did. It didn't matter where they went; they'd go on private yards, they'd go anywhere they felt like it, and it was bothering me because I thought, you know, this is going to put an end to the hobby before it even gets started. You know, and there's and, still a lot of that going on with these new people buying oh, machines. I, you know, from I, I totally understand. But the thing that really took the cake was there was a rumor going around here in Rochester that there was going to be a, a new ordinance, a park ordinance that they were going to put into place. And I, for some reason, thought it had to do with you know the banning of metal detectors. And I thought, I can't have that. Uh-huh. So I went and approached, well, I and another guy approached the Rochester Park Department people mm-hmm. and asked them what the scenario was. And they said, no, it wasn't a, it wasn't, a, it had to do with metal detecting. It had to do with dog ordinances. They were going to put a dog ordinance into place or something. Oh, okay. So it wasn't that. But then the guy that was the president or the head of the park board at that time was kind of interested. He says, yeah, he says, you know, I've, I've seen you guys out and about. He says, what do you find? And what, you know, what can you do with those things? And, and of course we told him, well, it finds coins, but we find stuff for people, return jewelry and whatnot and this and that. And he thought, hey, that sounds like it would be kind of cool to have a, a group like you. And we were looking for a place to have a meeting. Mm-hmm. And he said, what we can do is we can, you know, put you in a place here in Rochester that we, we have control of, which was a nice old uh, doctor's mansion here in Rochester that they've converted into a, a public sort of area. They give tours. It's sort of like a museum now. Mm-hmm. They, they give you tours and stuff of it. But he uh, gave us a room in the basement. We had the whole room to ourselves. And, uh, and uh, he offered to sponsor our club. In fact, the first several years, they actually even printed our newsletters for us. Oh, wow. And he had the secretary print the newsletters for us. That's nice. Well, we were there. We were there for. We were there for thirty years, and finally one day we got a new, a new uh, director of Parks and Rec, and he put a kibosh to that. He thought, you know, they could be renting that room out for money rather than just giving it to somebody once a month. And to this day, I don't think they've ever rented that room out even once but that's too bad we found other places to meet yeah but it was nice because we had a room that we could lock up so we had our own library down there uh-huh. we could lock the room up and had the key for it nice and it, it was it was just nice so yeah i've uh, got to give the the rochester park and rec people kudos for for their support back in the early days mm-hmm. uh, and so far we've been having good luck with them we've not had any issues with metal detectors ever in Rochester, so let's hope we can keep it that way. But that was the main reason for starting the club. I wanted to to try and get people in, to enjoy the hobby, but to, to do it correctly and, and don't go to places without permission or places that you know are off limits. And back in those days, they didn't realize state parks were off limits. You know, mm-hmm. They were, even back then. So, right. uh, you know, it's just good that we didn't ever have any problems with that uh, ordeal. And not make it a big competition to where, you know, that's, I'm going to get something before you do or whatever. Right, right. And, you know, we, we, we've always have, have had a great group of people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's slowed down tremendously in 40 years, but, you know, what do you expect? You know, the places are harder to find. People don't have as much patience. 
Right. And, you know, it, as much as I like the hobby, it's it's hard. I mean, you go out and you, you might find one or two old coins, but you take the whole day in doing it, and it's like, well, what's more important, to get that or, or to mow the lawn and do your stuff you got to do at home? And, right. Uh, well, to me, it's always been the getting out and hunting because my, my thing on that is I just enjoy getting out and doing it. I mean, there's times I don't even care if I find anything. I just want to swing the machine, and I want to be in a spot. Just to be outside. Yeah, where, there, where there's a potential of finding anything. You know, right. If it's not old, I don't care. I'll go to the old school ground down the street. You know, it's been hit about 40 million times, but right. just to see if somebody might have lost something recently, you know, a ring or something like that. So, yeah, that's one advantage uh, I've got that I can walk over to the fairgrounds that's so within walking distance or right. our Irvine Park has got 500 and some yep. acres to hunt. I mean, th those yep. places are well, not ever hunted out and they never will be. No. You know, and, and one of the other things we've, we've always tried to stress in our club is, you know, we, we've, we've always tried to have some sort of a program at the meetings, which is getting harder and harder to do there. But right. uh, we've offered our assistance to the police here in town in the sheriff's department uh we did some work for with civil defense at one time uh locating valuable property markers things like that mm -hmm. and we've also uh participated in a, in a look uh looking for parts from a crashed airline if you remember back on oh, the what the heck was that early 80s there was airlines flight uh, 232 that went from i want to say chicago but it went to it was going somewhere, and it lost the engine over uh, middle of Iowa. Uh -huh. It was the one that crashed. It did that cartwheel crash landing in uh, in uh, Sioux City, Iowa. Yep, yeah, I remember that. Well, the the engine you know came off the off the plane somewhere before it it, it fell to the ground. Well, it, when the when the engine came off, it severed all the hydraulic lines that gave the the ability for the plane to uh, go up or down. Right. And so that was the reason crash so general electric was the company that manufactured the engine and, and they were of course probably worrying about getting a lawsuit and i think what's happening i'm going to lose you here pretty soon because my phone's beeping at me okay well let's see if there's any other oh how many people were in your club when you started and how many do they have now uh, yeah we've had as many as 65 active members you know, back in the early to mid-80s, and now we're just down to a handful of, you know, maybe 10 or 12, mm -hmm. 14 people. But uh, What are the dues for try, in the club? I, I think right now I think they're $30 annually or 35 if if you want to join as a couple. Mm -hmm. So like you and your wife, it would be $35 a year, or if you just joined yourself, it would be like 30 Right. What about uh, email or website? Uh, how can people get a hold of either you or the club if they well, want to join? And where are the meetings held? The meetings are held at the First Ascension Church in Rochester. And I don't have the address right in front of me, but it's, it's uh, right next to, to uh, a school. I think of the school name. No, Willow Creek Junior High School. Okay. Um, it's right on the edge of the south end of town. It's, uh, it's Will, uh, Willow Creek Junior High School is there, and it's right next to that. It's 
called Ascension Lutheran Church. Okay. And we meet the second Wednesday every month, 7 o'clock, and anyone that's wel- that's interested in coming is welcome to attend without you know paying dues. If they want to come and just sit through a couple of meetings and see what we do, that's fine. We're not going to charge you a, a full membership mm-hmm. just for the newsletter and everything else. But, um, you know, we've tried to have more and more meeting topics, but it's harder and harder to get people to, to come uh, anymore to, to talk to people. Right. We could get some of the same old people back that we've had, and we do. We have done that and done quite well at it. So, mm-hmm. uh, but mainly we just like to get together and talk about the hobby and share what people find and have a find of the month competition, which is kind of a fun type of competition event. We don't have any uh, major, uh, you know, we aren't giving out major prizes or anything for who's got the best. We just you know, it's more of a recognition. You get your name mentioned in the newsletters about it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, but it's a lot of fun. We, we try to encourage people to bring in anything that they found. So we do that by anyone that enters, a, even if it's a pull tab, we, we take that and put, a, put their name in a hat for a drawing at the end of the meeting. So even if you find nothing more than a pull tab for the month, you still might have a chance of winning a silver quarter or something like that. So, right, right. And they anybody out there that's listening to this and wants to join the club, they can also get a hold of myself. I'm also a member, even though I'm in Chippewa Falls. My daughter lives in St. Charles, just outside of Rochester, and I get down there quite often. So that's one of the reasons why I joined the club, and I handle the uh, Facebook page for Zumbro Valley. Uh, so if they want to get a hold of me, they can also do that. So, okay, anything else that you can think of, Bruce, before we uh, close her out? Not really. Um, I just want to let you know, too, that a person doesn't have to invest a lot of money to get into this hobby. And an example of that is a fellow that used to be in our, our club. He lived over in La Crosse, found a $5 gold piece from, the eight, uh, from Dahlonega, Georgia, Mint. It was dated 1842. And he found that with, with a Radio Shack detector. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was about a $30 detector. And so it can be done. And uh, he's I'll bet you that was a lot Pete Netzel, huh? Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Give him credit for that one. Yep. I know he found it because I saw it. Yep. So it was for real. Yeah, Pete told me about it, that you were hunting with him that time. Yep, yep. So... That's about all I can tell you here, Ken. Okay. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show, and sure. uh, we'll probably have you on again down the road, or, and uh, hope you have a great hunting season this year. I plan to be well, at I the meeting on uh, March. Uh, myself yeah, and check on that. Check on that meeting day because I'm not sure if it's Wednesday or Thursday this month. Randy okay. would know that. But. Yeah, I'll, I'll check with Randy and see. But myself and Mike Schoonover will be down, and. Uh, We'll take in the meeting, and I'll be bringing in a bunch of equipment like I usually do, you know, uh, well, machines and stuff. You know, we love we love to have you, Ken. So I'll try to talk to as many people as I can think of to try and get them to come to that meeting too. Yep. Uh, you know, some of the people that don't come that often, and see if I can't encourage them to show up for that kind of meeting. Because in the past, that's always been our best meeting of the year. Is that one in the you know our uh, March or May? You know where where we have dealers demonstrate what products are out and what's new and stuff right. for sale and things like that. So looking forward to that, too. Yep. All right. Very good. Well, thanks again, Bruce, Thank for you. coming on, and 
Like I said, happy hunting, and I'll see you probably in March. All right. Thank you, and take care. All right. You too, buddy. Bye. Bye. Bruce Kennedy from Rochester, Minnesota. He is the person that started Zumbro Valley Treasure Hunters in Minnesota. So if you want to get into that club, they've got a pretty decent little club going there. And you're interested in metal detecting, contact Bruce. Or you can get a hold of me and I'll put you in contact with either Bruce or Randy, who is the uh, club president right now. So until next time, you take care, God bless, and happy hunting. Welcome to the Ken Briggs Show. Today we're going to have a guest from the Rochester, Minnesota area who's been into the hobby just about as long as I have, 40-some years plus. His name is Bruce Kennedy, and I want to welcome Bruce to the show. Welcome, Bruce. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, how long have you been detecting? Uh, I started in about 1973, I believe. What got you into uh, this great hobby? Well, you know, I guess my interest started in coins. I, uh, you know, I collected uh, coins in the early 60s. You know, I was trying to collect silver coins at that time. And I looked for silver coins in change in the early days. And, of course, you could find a lot of them then. Oh, yeah. Not like now. That's right. Uh, and I, I just thought it was uh, a little expensive to be able, you know, I wasn't, you know, I was still in school, I wasn't working, and, and it was getting expensive, you know, to trade, uh, you know, a dollar for, you know, two half dollars, you know, in silver just to put into a coin collection, so I never could afford to, to buy too many. Right. Um, and what got me started in the hobby, too, was I saw some detector ads in the early 70s. They were in some uh, magazines that I received, and, and I started, apply, you know, writing letters to these companies and requesting information. And I remember I bought my first detector in 1974. I think I paid $39 for it. What was that a, detector? It was a Jetco Mustang. Okay. I bought it at J.C. Penney. It was $39. It was an old BFO, and uh, it was a good machine. I found a lot of coins with that thing my first year. And after getting that, I realized, hey, this, this might be worth investing a little bit more to get a little bit better machine. So I, of course, started working my way up mm -hmm. after that but I had that first machine probably for a few months before I upgraded what first what was your first coin find when you found when you uh if I remember I if, if I remember correctly I was still living at home and I had it in my folks front yard I was hunting in their front yard and the first coin I found was a 1947 Roosevelt dime and, I mean, that got me hooked, really, <laughs> big time. My uh, my girlfriend at the time, who's my wife now, was with me, and uh, we were out well into the, you know, midnight, you know, messing around in the backyard with that thing. I mean, she went and got a flashlight, and I just couldn't put the thing down. So, uh, I got hooked. I got hooked on it big time since. And in fact, I remember the first check that I wrote when once we got married and I had a checking account, the very first check
check that I wrote after we were married was for a metal detector. So mm-hmm. that sort of tells you my uh, my interest in the hobby. Just about as long as I've been into it. Yep. yep. I, I turned it'd be fifty one years this year. So, and it's you know, a great hobby. I mean. Do you have any kids that are in the uh, hobby world of it? Or well, not? I had, you know, I got one child, one boy. He's like forty-three now, mm-hmm. and uh, he's been interested in it to a certain degree. Uh, I could never get him real, you know, real turned on to it. But um, he came. He attended one of our club outings that we had, and he ended up winning. Uh, the detector which you donated actually it was that Orinoco hunt that we had uh-huh. in Orinoco, Minnesota. Yep. And he won the he won the Garrett detector that we were you were giving away for that that Ace three what was it Ace two fifty or Ace, yep. Ace, Ace three fifty. Yeah, I think it's Ace two fifty. Still got it, and you know he joined the club here a few years ago, and he's he's interested in it, but he's got so many other things going on right now that uh, between him and work and and his dog and everything else he's got very little time but he's gone out a few times with me and found a few things oh good he enjoys it how about your wife does she still get out with you or she well she never got interested in metal detecting but she's very patient she's willing to sit in the car Mm -hmm. for hours on end like my wife yeah she'll sit in the car and um and just you know read magazines or whatever and it was kind of funny one time we were we were in an old fairgrounds getting kind of towards the end of the season it was cool but the sun was warm and she was sitting in the car reading her magazines and wasn't even paying any attention to the surroundings and i went back to the car to put the machine away and the whole inside of the car was covered with flies they were trying to you know get in the car to get warm she didn't even notice them i mean i had to drive the thing about 60 miles an hour for about half an hour just to get most of them to fly out of there so, but she's she's enjoyed that part of it. She likes traveling around and riding in the car and stuff. Yeah. And we try to do that occasionally on weekends when we can. Just That's go good. Somewhere and... Yeah, my wife usually does book work and stuff. She's not into the hobby, but she'll go and sit like you, like like your wife, sit for hours, and she'll do yeah. book work or, or read so, a magazine yeah, or something. She, and she enjoys it too. Yeah, that's good. How about uh, different coins? I know uh, a friend of yours who I've talked to quite often, said you've got uh, an Indian head penny collection? Well, yeah. When I, well, when I first started, you know, you could find where. I mean, you'd go to a schoolyard, and, you know, depending on the age of the school, you'd find coins from that time period. And I yep. remember finding, you know, in the early years, dimes and pennies were probably the most common finds right. that you would make. And that was one of my goals in my in my early years was to you know because I found so many dimes I wanted to see how how close I could come to completing a set of dimes would be starting with Roosevelt's and then going to Mercury's and then back to Barber but I also collected Indian heads as well and Buffalo nickels mm-hmm. so I got a pretty good set of buffaloes my Indian heads I'm probably missing. Three or four, perhaps, but I did finally complete my Mercury dime set mm-hmm. uh, by finding the by finding the uh, 1916 D, the key date, and I found that, believe it or not, in a park uh, back in 2012, 
and I found it in a park that, that was one of my first places I ever hunted with my detector. Mm-hmm. And I've been going back to this park for 40-some years, and so has everybody else. Uh-huh. And I found, that, I found that 16D dime about five or six inches deep, in the, about in the middle of the park where everybody and their brothers been. And I don't know how it got missed, but it did. Mm-hmm. And it was, a, it was a good one. It would grade strong, very fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of what got me interested in the, the collecting part. And I've since then tried to upgrade. So every time I'd find another coin, I'd try to upgrade it. You know, if it's a little bit better shape than the one I had, I'd replace it with that one. And so mm-hmm. on. but, uh, that was my, my biggest goal and my biggest highlight of my life. Wow. To find that, to find a complete set of mercury dyes and that is dimes. And that includes the, the 21D, the 21 plane, the 31S, every one of them. So mm-hmm. That that was quite an accomplishment. Well, I guess, yeah. What about gold coins? Find any gold coins? I, I found one gold coin, and I found that about, gosh, when, when was that? About 75 or 76. And it was ironic because it was in a schoolyard here in Rochester. It was, the school was built in 19... 19- 16, I believe, mm-hmm. and according to my research on the school, there used to be a saloon that was located on that site, and my brother-in-law found a $2.5 gold piece in the front lawn of that schoolhouse back in 75 or 76, mm-hmm. and uh, he showed me the one he found, and every once in a while when we had nothing better to do, we'd you know, get together and we'd run over there and, and do some more hunting. Well, it had been a hot day. We went all the way over to Mondovi, Wisconsin, <laughs> to have a picnic. And, and I remember, I mean, this stuff you don't forget, right? Oh, yeah. No, you don't. Went to Mon- Mondovi, Wisconsin with my brother-in-law, and we got there, and it was so hot that day we couldn't even stand to be out. So we said, let's just drive home and let's let it cool off a little bit and then meet, meet down at the schoolyard. Well, there was a park across the street from the school, too which was fairly old, and we found coins there. But we got to hunting, and it was finally cooled off, and I, we had a bet going. He said, you know, the first one that finds the, the oldest coin has to buy the other one a can of beer or whatever it was. <laughs> and we're hunting, and, and I went across the street from the park over to the school, and I got a good signal, dug it up, and four inches deep of, you know, dry soil, I see the outline of this this coin and it was kind of gold color and mm-hmm. i remembered finding some earlier uh, uh mercury dimes and they always had a kind of a yellowish hue to them almost like they were toned or something and mm-hmm. i thought oh it's another mercury dime that's got that tone well when i picked it up right away i knew it's too heavy to be a, a dime and i looked and it was a it was a gold coin oh, wow. and i hollered over at my brother-in-law i says i says well i got it you know i got the, the coin uh-huh. he says well it, is it a an old coin, and I said, "Well, does a gold coin count?" And he just about <laughs> dropped it. I mean, his chin just about hit the street, and he come running over there. And sure enough, it was a nineteen nineteen oh nine two and a half dollar Indian. Wow! But that's the only one that I've ever found mm-hmm. with my detector. I've been around guys that have found them. I've seen them dug up. Uh, they're out there, but boy, I'll tell you, they're not very common around here. In no, they're not. What about caches? You ever run into a cache? Not really. No. The one of the things though that got me interested in the hobby was one of the first places I went 
to try the the detector. There's a there's a middle school here in Rochester, mm-hmm. and behind the school, uh, it used to be a farmstead on that property, and there was a hill behind the school, and in the hill, there used to be a, a it was a sandstone hill, and it was dug out for I don't know if they used it for storage of of uh, food in the summertime, mm-hmm. but that was what the the word was that I heard on it. And uh, it was a spot that, that the kids would always go to and, and run around inside there. Well, one day they finally decided, you know, it's unsafe for these kids to be in there, so they boarded or they, they put a door on the thing. Mm-hmm. And being a kid, you know, I was probably in about, I don't know, who knows, I wasn't very old. Mm-hmm. But I went back to the school, and where this door was, I thought, well, that won't keep me out. All I got to do is dig underneath the door, you know. Mm-hmm. It was all sand. And so I started digging, and lo and behold, I got a, a, a rusty tin. Okay, we're back on. Go ahead. I lost you. Yeah. Well, like I said, I was I was digging underneath this door and uh, thinking I would crawl underneath it to get in, just a horse around. And I found this tin box that was fairly rusty, and I shook it, and there was something in it. And I I opened it up, and I found maybe I don't know two dollars in change. It was all you know, vintage, you know, like, I remember a barber half. I found a night, it was a 1912 barber half and a bunch of pennies, some nickels, and I think a couple of dimes. It wasn't all, the, the total value on the thing was less than two bucks, I uh-huh. remember. But I was elated. I thought, holy cow, this is really cool. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I used to play up there a lot, and I thought, well, that was cool. I remember I took it to the coin store and sold it immediately, of course, uh-huh. you know. But another time I was back there, and we were horsing around on this hill, and I was running down a path, and I heard something, you know, I kind of tripped on a, on a stone or a rock or something, and I heard this kind of a ting, 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 and I, I looked, and here was another barber half dollar. I had kicked it up from somewhere. It was, obviously, it was laying there on the ground, and I, I kicked it up. Wow. But I kept that one, and I thought, ever since then, I thought, man, that's kind of cool, you know, it'd be kind of nice to have a metal detector. Well... I went and I went and tried that spot, you know, twenty or ten, twenty years later, probably uh-huh. with a better detector. And of course, I'd got no more signals under the door. But uh, right. there could still be stuff up in them woods. It's like I said, it was an old farmhouse that that they built the school on. Mm-hmm. And but there's so many pop cans and stuff back there now from kids nowadays that it was just about impossible to to hunt it. But that really got me going. Yeah, that, that was a close cash I guess I'd, I'd ever found. Huh. How about dog tags? You find anything like that? Dog tags? tags yep. And... Got, some, got some nice dog tags. I've got uh, the best one that I've got and I won't sell it. They've been after me to sell it, but it's it's from 1889. Mm. It's from the town of Henderson, Minnesota, which is a fairly small town over by uh, kind of over by Mankato area, okay. right on the uh, Minnesota River. Mm-hmm. And it was number 10, so it would have been the number 10 dog tag from 1889. And I think the thing was lost even before the 
got put on the dog because it was just pristine condition, no oh, wear wow. whatsoever on it. And it's a it's a rare piece, you know. I've been told. Right. Um, I guess I've heard that anything pre nineteen hundred is considered desirable. Uh huh. Um, and so I found I think a total of four from there. I've got a nineteen no eighteen ninety from Minneapolis, and I've got a eighteen ninety or was it eighteen ninety yeah eighteen ninety two from Fountain City, Wisconsin. And I don't remember what the other one was. I think I got four of them that, that predated 1900. But I've also got quite a number of earlier ones, you know, 1910 to 1930s. In fact, I found in one yard, I found two consecutive ones from the same, uh, in the same yard. It was, they were both from 1923, and they each were one number apart as, as far as the serial number. So that person must have had like two dogs or something, and right. uh, they lost them both at the same time or something. Right. Uh, yeah, that was kind of cool. Yeah. What kind of machine you running these days? Well, right now I got the, I still got the old uh, Mind Lab uh, Explorer SC Pro. Uh-huh. And I've had pretty good luck with it, but uh, I still use, and this is my favorite machine, is my old faithful uh, Judge, or not Judge Two, but uh, Garrett Freedom mm -hmm. Two, oh, yeah. about 1976. Yep. Uh, I've got about three of them, and if I ever see another one, I'll buy it because uh, you can't have too many of them. But that that is one awesome machine, especially for the type of hunting I do now, which is a lot of the street construction stuff, mm -hmm. uh, where you're not depending a hundred percent on depth. Mm -hmm. But you need good discrimination, and that thing is just a, incredible for its ability to, to tune out nails and rusty stuff and mm -hmm. tin and, and, and pick out the coins. It won't get super, super depth, but, uh, you know, that's why I'd use a mine lab then. But uh, that old that old Freedom 2 has really been a, a good workhorse for me. Yeah, and they don't make the parts for that anymore either. No, I know it. Well, that's why I bought. I think I got three of them now, and one one is almost brand new. So because I had one uh, but guy come in uh, the shop and wanted to get one fixed, and I sent it in for him, and Garrett yep. said, "Nope, throw it away and buy a new one." <laughs> yeah, or find one that you if you can find a used one, try that. But yeah, yeah. I know it. I you know I'm sure there's a lot of good detectors out there that will do the same thing, but that thing is so. Um, has been so useful to me. It just works so good in that kind of conditioning right. um, that, you know, I prefer to use that over anything else. Yeah, Gareth uh, puts out a good my, machine, I'll tell you that. Well, those old ones are really good. I know some of the some of the models they came up with had some issues with their coils. Yep. And uh, I don't know, they, it seemed back in the day, it, it, Either you had a hot one or you had one that wasn't so hot. Right. And uh, I know my, the first one I had was one of those really good ones. And then I bought another one, and I don't think it was nearly as good. Mm -hmm. At least it wouldn't go nearly as deep, and it had trouble. Uh, you, you couldn't, I, I think you you couldn't even eliminate a nickel, if I remember right. You turn the scrim all the way up, and it would still pick up a nickel. Huh. But, uh you know, it still works good. I still use it. I still find stuff with it. So mm -hmm. I'm going to continue to use it until I no longer find anything with it. But it's been a good machine. That's good. What about clubs? Do you belong to any clubs? or? Yes, I started the club in Rochester. Um, What's the name in, of the club? 
Zumbro Valley Treasure Hunters, and we were established about 19, well, February of 1980. And the reason for the club being uh, there, I, I was detecting already for about six, seven years. And in 1980, if you remember, there was a big, is when the, when the silver uh, skyrocketed. Yep. Back in 19, early part of 1980, I think, is when silver hit its high. And it was, I don't remember how much it was now, but I remember at that, I think it was, like three dollars and eighty some cents for a dime, mm-hmm. so it was like 38, 38 times face value. Right. And well, back then, because of the, the high price of silver, everybody and their brother were getting into metal detecting, and it was fine. Except a lot of the guys that that thought they were going to get rich quick decided they just did, it didn't matter where they went. They'd go on private yards. They'd go anywhere they felt like it, and it was bothering me because I thought, you know, this is going to put an end to the hobby before it even gets started. You know, and there's and, still a lot of that going on with these new people buying oh, machines, I, you know, from... I, I totally understand, but the thing that really took the cake was there was a rumor going around here in Rochester that there was going to be a, a new ordinance, a park ordinance, that they were going to put into place. And I, for some reason, thought it had to do with, you know, the banning of metal detectors. And I thought, I can't have that. Uh-huh. So I went and approached, well... I and another guy approached the Rochester Park Department people mm-hmm. and asked them what the scenario was, and they said no, it wasn't a, it wasn't, a, it had to do with metal detecting. It had to do with dog ordinances. They were going to put a dog ordinance into place or something. Oh, okay. So it wasn't that. But then the guy that was the president or the head of the park board at that time was kind of interested. He says, "Yeah, he says, you know, I've I've seen you guys out and about. He says, what do you find, and what you know, what can you do with those things?" And, and, of course, we told them, well, it finds coins, but we find stuff for people, return jewelry and whatnot, and this and that. And he thought, hey, that sounds like it would be kind of cool to have a, a group like you. And we were looking for a place to have a meeting. Mm-hmm. And he said, what we can do is we can, you know, put you in a place here in Rochester that we, we have control of, which was a nice old uh, doctor's mansion here in Rochester that they've converted into a, a public sort of area they give tours it's sort of like a museum now mm-hmm. they, they give you tours and stuff of it but he uh gave us a room in the basement we had the whole room to ourselves, and uh and uh he offered to sponsor our club in fact the first several years they actually even printed our newsletters for us oh, wow. and he had the secretary print the newsletters for us that's nice well, we were there we were there for we were there for 30 years and finally, one day we got a new, a new uh, director of Parks and Rec, and he put a kibosh to that. He thought, you know, they could be renting that room out for money rather than just giving it to somebody once a month. And to this day, I don't think they've ever rented that room out even once. But that's too bad. We found other places to meet. Yeah, but it was nice because we had a room that we could lock up. So we had our own library down there. Uh-huh. We could lock the room up and have the key for it. Nice. It was just nice. So yeah. uh, I've got to give the, the Rochester Park and Rec people kudos for, for their support back in the early days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so far we've been having good luck with them. We've not had any issues with metal detectors ever in Rochester, so let's hope we can keep it that way. But that was the main reason for starting the club. I wanted to, to try and get people in, to enjoy the hobby, but to, to do it correctly and, and don't go to places without permission or places that you know are off limits and 
back in those days, they didn't realize state parks were off limits. You know, mm-hmm. They were, even back then. So, right. uh, you know, it's just good that we didn't ever have any problems with that uh, ordeal. And not make it a big competition to where, you know, that's I'm going to get something before you do or whatever. Right, right. And, you know, we, we, we've always have, have had a great group of people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's slowed down tremendously in 40 years, but, you know, what do you expect? You know, the places are harder to find. People don't have as much patience. Right. And, you know, it, as much as I like the hobby, it's, it's hard. I mean, you go out and you, you might find one or two old coins, but you take the whole day in doing it, and it's like, well, what's more important, to get that or, or to mow the lawn and do your stuff you got to do at home? And, right. Uh, well, to me, it's always been the getting out and hunting because my my thing on that is I just enjoy getting out and doing it. I mean, there's times I don't even care if I find anything. I just want to swing the machine, and I want to be in a spot. Just to be outside. Uh, yeah, where, the, where there's a potential of finding anything. You know, right. If it's not old. I don't care. I'll go to the old school ground down the street. You know, it's been hit about 40 million times, but right. just to see if somebody might have lost something recently, you know, a ring or something like that. So, yeah, that's one advantage uh, I've got that I can walk over to the fairgrounds that's so within walking distance, or right. our Irvine Park has got 500 and some yep. acres to hunt. I mean, that those yep. places are well, not ever hunted out, and they never will be. to stress in our club is you know we, we've, we've always tried to have some sort of a program at the meetings which is getting harder and harder to do there but right uh, we've offered our assistance to the police here in town in the sheriff's department uh, we did some work for with civil defense at one time uh, locating valuable property markers things like that mm-hmm. and we've also uh, participated in a, in a look uh, looking for parts from a crashed airline. If you remember back on oh, the what the heck was that early '80s, there was Airlines Flight uh, 232 that went from I want to say Chicago, but it went to it was going somewhere, and it lost the engine over uh, middle of Iowa. Uh-huh. It was the one that crashed. It did that cartwheel crash landing in uh, in uh, Sioux City, Iowa. Yep, yeah, I remember that. Well, the the engine, you know, came off the off the plane somewhere before it, it it fell to the ground. Well, it when the when the engine came off, it severed all the hydraulic lines that gave the the ability for the plane to uh, go up or down. Right. And so that was the reason for the crash. So General Electric was the company that manufactured the engine, and, and they were, of course, probably worrying about getting a lawsuit. And I think what's happening, I'm going to lose you here pretty soon because my phone's beeping at me. Okay. Well, let's see if there's any other... Oh, how many people were in your club when you started, and how many do they have now? Yeah, we've had as many as 65 active members, you know, back in the early to mid-80s, and now we're just down to a handful of, you know, maybe 10 or 12, mm-hmm. 14 people. But uh, What are the dues for try... in the club? I, I think right now I think they're $30 annually, or thirty five if if you want to join as a couple. Mm-hmm. So, like you and your wife, it would be thirty five dollars a year. Or if you just joined yourself, it would be like thirty. Right. What about uh, email or website? Uh, how can people get a hold of either you or the club? 
if they well, want to we, join. And where are the we, meetings we held? The meetings are held at the First Ascension Church in Rochester, and I don't have the address right in front of me, but it's it's uh, right next to, to uh, a school. <laughs> I think of the school name. No, Willow that's Creek Junior High School. Okay. Um, it's right on the edge of the south end of town. Will, uh, Willow Creek Junior High School is there, and it's right next to that. It's called Ascension Lutheran Church. Okay. And we meet the second Wednesday every month, 7 o'clock. And anyone that's wel- that's interested in coming is welcome to attend without you know paying dues. If they want to come and just sit through a couple of meetings and see what we do, that's fine. We're not going to charge you a, a full membership mm-hmm. just for the newsletter and everything else. But, um, you know, we've tried to have more and more meeting topics, but it's harder and harder to get people to, to come uh, anymore to, to talk to people. Right. We could get some of the same old people back that we've had, and we do. We have done that and done quite well at it. So, mm-hmm. uh, But mainly we just like to get together and talk about the hobby and share what people find and have a find-of-the-month competition, which is kind of a fun type of competition event. We don't have any uh, major... Uh, you know, we aren't giving out major prizes or anything for who's got the best. We just, you know, it's more of a recognition. You get your name mentioned in the newsletters about it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, but it's a lot of fun. We, we try to encourage people to bring in anything that they found. So we do that by anyone that enters, a, even if it's a pull tab, we, we take that and put, a, put their name in a hat for a drawing at the end of the meeting. So even if you find nothing more than a pull tab for the month, you still might have a chance of winning a silver quarter or something like that. So. Right, right. And they, anybody out there that's listening to this and wants to join the club, they can also get a hold of myself. I'm also a member, even though I'm in Chippewa Falls. My daughter lives in St. Charles, just outside of Rochester, and I get down there quite often. So that's one of the reasons why I joined the club, and I handle the uh, Facebook page for Zumbro Valley. So if they want to get a hold of me, they can also do that. Right. So, okay. Anything else that you can think of, Bruce, before we uh, close her out? Not really. Um, I just want to let you know, too, that a person doesn't have to invest a lot of money to get into this hobby. And an example of that is a fellow that used to be in our, our club. He lived over in La Crosse, found a $5 gold piece from, the eight, uh, from Dahlonega, Georgia, Mint, it was dated 1842, and he found that with, with a Radio Shack detector. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was about a $30 detector. And so it can be done. And, uh, I'll bet you that was Pete Netzel, huh? Yep, yep. <laughs> yep, give him credit for that one. Yep. I know he found it because I saw it. Yep. So it was for real. Yeah, Pete told me about it, that you were hunting with him that time. Yep, yep. So... That's about all I can tell you here, Ken. Okay. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show, and sure. uh, we'll probably have you on again down the road, or, and uh, hope you have a great hunting season this year. I plan to be oh, at I the meeting I... on uh, March uh, myself. Yeah, and... check, on that, check on that meeting day, because I'm not sure if it's Wednesday or Thursday this month. Randy okay. would know that. But... Yeah, I'll, I'll check with Randy and see, but myself and Mike Schoonover will be down, and... Uh, We'll take in the meeting, and I'll be bringing in a bunch of equipment like I usually do, you know, 
uh, well, machines and stuff. You know, we love we love to have you, Ken. So I'll try talk to as many people as I can think of to try and get them to come to that meeting too. Yep. Uh, you know, some of the people that don't come that often and see if I can encourage them to show up for that kind of meeting. Cause in the past, that's always been our best meeting of the year is that one in the, you know, our uh, March or May, you know, where, where we have dealers demonstrate what products are out and what's new and stuff right. for sale and things like that. So looking forward to that too. Yep. All right. Very good. Well, thanks again, Bruce, Thank for you. coming on and, like I said, happy hunting, and I'll see you probably in March. All right. Thank you, and take care. All right. You too, buddy. Bye. Bye. Bruce Kennedy from Rochester, Minnesota. He is the person that started Zumbro Valley Treasure Hunters in Minnesota. So if you want to get into that club, they've got a pretty decent little club going there, and you're interested in metal detecting, contact Bruce. Or you can get a hold of me, and I'll put you in contact with either Bruce or Randy, who is the uh, club president right now. So until next time, you take care, God bless, and happy hunting. Welcome to the Ken Briggs Show. Today, we're going to have a guest from the Rochester, Minnesota area who's been into the hobby just about as long as I have, 40-some years plus. His name is Bruce Kennedy, and I want to welcome Bruce to the show. Welcome, Bruce. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, how long have you been detecting? Uh, I started in about 1973, I believe. What got you into uh, this great hobby? Well, you know, I guess my interest started in coins. I, uh, you know, I collected uh, coins in the early 60s. You know, I was trying to collect silver coins at that time. And I looked for silver coins in change in the early days. And, of course, you could find a lot of them then. Oh, yeah. Not like now. That's right. Uh, and I, I just thought it was uh, a little expensive to be able, you know, I wasn't, you know, I was still in school, I wasn't working, and, and it was getting expensive, you know, to trade, uh, you know, a dollar for, you know, two half dollars, you know, in silver just to put into a coin collection, so I never could afford to, to buy too many. Right. Um, and what got me started in the hobby, too, was I saw some detector ads in the early 70s. They were in some uh, magazines that I received, and, and I started, apply, you know, writing letters to these companies and requesting information. And I remember I bought my first detector in 1974. I think I paid $39 for it. What was that detector? It was a Jetco Mustang. Okay. I bought it at J.C. Penney. It was $39. It was an old BFO, and uh, it was a good machine. I found a lot of coins with that thing my first year. And after getting that, I realized, hey, this, this might be worth investing a little bit more to get a little bit better machine. So I, of course, started working my way up mm-hmm. after that but i had that first machine probably for a few months before i upgraded what first what was your first coin find when you found when you uh if i remember i if, if i remember correctly i was still living at home and i had it in my folks front yard i was hunting in their front yard and the first coin i found was a 1947 roosevelt dime 
And I mean, that got me hooked, really, <laughs> big time. My uh, my girlfriend at the time, who's my wife now, was with me, and uh, we were out well into the you know midnight, you know, messing around in the backyard with that thing. I mean, she went and got a flashlight, and I just couldn't put the thing down. So, uh, I got hooked. I got hooked on it big time since. Then. In fact, I remember the first check that I wrote when once we got married, and I had a checking account. The very first check that I wrote after we were married was for a metal detector. So mm-hmm. that sort of tells you my uh, my interest in the hobby. Just about as long as I've been into it. Yep. yep. I, I turned it'd be fifty one years this year. So, and it's so a great hobby. I mean. Do you have any kids that are in the uh, hobby world of it? Or well, not? I had, you know, I got one child, one boy. He's like forty-three now, mm-hmm. and uh, he's been interested in it to a certain degree. Uh, I could never get him real, you know, real turned on to it. But um, he came. He attended one of our club outings that we had, and he ended up winning. Uh, the detector, which you donated, actually, it was that Orinoco hunt that we had uh-huh. in Orinoco, Minnesota. Yep. And he won the he won the Garrett detector that we were you were giving away for that that Ace three, what was it Ace two fifty or Ace, yep. Ace, Ace three fifty? Yeah, I think it's Ace two fifty. Still got it, and you know he joined the club here a few years ago, and he's he's interested in it, but he's got so many other things going on right now that uh, between him and work and and his dog and everything else he's got very little time but he's gone out a few times with me and found a few things oh good he enjoys it how about your wife does she still get out with you or she well she never got interested in metal detecting but she's very patient she's willing to sit in the car Mm -hmm. for hours on end like my wife yeah she'll sit in the car and um and just you know read magazines or whatever and it was kind of funny one time we were we were in an old fairgrounds getting kind of towards the end of the season it was cool but the sun was warm and she was sitting in the car reading her magazines and wasn't even paying any attention to the surroundings and i went back to the car to put the machine away and the whole inside of the car was covered with flies they were trying to you know get in the car to get warm she didn't even notice them i mean i had to drive the thing about 60 miles an hour for about half an hour just to get most of them to fly out of there so, but she's she's enjoyed that part of it. She likes traveling around and riding in the car and stuff. Yeah. And we try to do that occasionally on weekends when we can. Just That's go good. Somewhere and... Yeah, my wife usually does book work and stuff. She's not into the hobby, but she'll go and sit like you, like like your wife, sit for hours, and she'll do yeah. book work or, or read yeah. a magazine yeah, or something. She, and She enjoys it, too. Yeah, that's good. How about uh, different coins? I know uh, a friend of yours who I've talked to quite often, said you've got uh, an Indian head penny collection? Well, yeah. When I, well, when I first started, you know, you could find where. I mean, you'd go to a schoolyard, and, you know, depending on the age of the school, you'd find coins from that time period. And I yep. remember finding, you know, in the early years, dimes and pennies were probably the most common finds right. that you would make. And that was one of my goals in my in my early years was to you know because I found so many dimes I wanted to see how how close I could come to completing a set of dimes would be starting with Roosevelt's and then going to Mercury's and then back to Barber but I also collected Indian heads as well and Buffalo nickels mm-hmm. so I got a pretty good 
probably missing three or four, perhaps. But I did finally complete my Mercury Dime set Mm -hmm. uh, by finding the by finding the uh, 1916D, the key date, and I found that, believe it or not, in a park uh, back in 2012, and I found it in a park that, that was one of my first places I ever hunted with my detector, mm-hmm. and I've been going back to this park for 40-some years, and so has everybody else, uh-huh. and I found, that, I found that 16D dime about five or six inches deep in the about in the middle of the park where everybody and their brother has been, and I don't know how it got missed, but it did. Mm-hmm. And it was a it was a good one. It would grade strong, very fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of what got me interested in the, the collecting part. And I've since then tried to upgrade. So every time I'd find another coin, I'd try to upgrade it. You know, if it's a little bit better shape than the one I had, I'd replace it with that one. And so mm-hmm. on. but, uh, that was my my biggest goal and my biggest highlight of my life. Wow! To find that to find a complete set of mercury dimes and that dimes and that includes the the twenty one D, the twenty one plane, the thirty one S, every one of them. So mm-hmm. That that was quite an accomplishment. Well, I guess yeah. What about gold coins? Find any gold coins? I, I found one gold coin and I found that about gosh when when was that about seventy five or seventy six. And it was ironic because it was in a schoolyard here in Rochester. It was, the school was built in 1916, I believe. Mm-hmm. And according to my research on the school, there used to be a saloon that was located on that site. And my brother-in-law found a $2.5 gold piece in the front lawn of that schoolhouse back in 75 or 76. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, he showed me the one he found, and every once in a while when we had nothing better to do, we'd you know get together and we'd run over there and, and do some more hunting. Well, it had been a hot day. We went all the way over to Mondovi, Wisconsin <laughs> to have a picnic. And, and I remember, I mean, this stuff you don't forget, right? Oh, yeah. No, you don't. Went to Mondovi, Wisconsin with my brother-in-law, and we got there, and it was so hot that day we couldn't even stand to be out. So we said, let's just drive home and let's let it cool off a little bit and then meet meet down at the schoolyard. Well, there was a park across the street from the school, too, which was fairly old, and we found coins there. But we got to hunting, and it was finally cooled off, and I we had a bet going. He said, you know, the first one that finds the, the oldest coin has to buy the other one a can of beer or whatever it was. <laughs> and we're hunting, and, and I went across the street from the park over to the school, and I got a good signal, dug it up, and four inches deep of, you know, dry soil, I'd see the outline of this this coin, and it was kind of gold color. And I remembered finding some earlier uh, uh, mercury dimes, and they always had a kind of a yellowish hue to them, almost like they were toned or something. And I mm-hmm. thought, oh, it's another mercury dime that's got that tone. Well, when I picked it up right away, I knew it's too heavy to be a a dime, and I look, and it was a it was a gold coin. Oh, wow. And I hollered over at my brother-in-law. I says, I says, well, I got it. You know, I got the the coin. Uh-huh. I says, well, it, is, is it a an old coin? And I said, well, does a gold coin count? And he just about <laughs> dropped it. I mean, his chin just about hit the street. And he come running over there, and sure enough, it was a 19, $1909, dollars Indian. Wow. But that's the only one that I've ever found mm-hmm. with my detector. I've been around guys that have found them. I've seen them dug up. Uh, 
around here. In no, they're not. What about caches? You ever run into a cache? Not really. No. The, one of the things, though, that got me interested in the hobby was one of the first places I went to try the, the detector. With, there's, a, there's a middle school here in Rochester. Mm-hmm. And behind the school, uh, it used to be a farmstead on that property, and there was a hill behind the school. And in the hill... There used to be a, a, it was a sandstone hill, and it was dug out for, I don't know if they used it for storage of, of uh, food in the summertime, mm-hmm. but that was what the, the word was that I heard on it. And uh, it was a spot that, that the kids would always go to and, and run around inside there. Well, one day they finally decided, you know, it's unsafe for these kids to be in there, so they boarded or they, they put a door on the thing. Mm-hmm. And being a kid, you know, I was probably in about, I don't know, who knows, I wasn't very old. Mm-hmm. But I went back to the school, and where this door was, I thought, well, that won't keep me out. All I got to do is dig underneath the door, you know. Mm-hmm. It was all sand. And so I started digging, and lo and behold, I got a, a, a rusty tin. Okay, we're back on. Go ahead. I lost you. Yeah. Well, like I said, I was I was digging underneath this door and uh, thinking I would crawl underneath it to get in, just to horse around. And I found this tin box that was fairly rusty, and I shook it, and there was something in it. And I I opened it up, and I found maybe I don't know two dollars and change. It was all you know, vintage, you know, like, I remember a barber half. I found a night, it was a 1912 barber half and a bunch of pennies, some nickels, and I think a couple of dimes. It wasn't all, the, the total value on the thing was less than two bucks, I uh-huh. remember. But I was elated. I thought, holy cow, this is really cool. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I used to play up there a lot, and I thought, well, that was cool. I remember I took it to the coin store and sold it immediately, of course, uh-huh. you know. But another time I was back there, and we were horsing around on this hill, and I was running down a path, and I heard something, you know, I kind of tripped on a, on a stone or a rock or something, and I heard this kind of a ting, 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 and I, I looked, and here was another barber half dollar. I had kicked it up from somewhere. It was, obviously, it was laying there on the ground, and I, I kicked it up. Wow. But I kept that one, and I thought, ever since then, I thought, man, that's kind of cool, you know, it'd be kind of nice to have a metal detector. Well... I went and I went and tried that spot, you know, twenty or ten, twenty years later, probably uh-huh. with a better detector. And of course, I got no more signals under the door. But uh, right. there could still be stuff up in them woods. It's like I said, it was an old farmhouse that that they built the school on. Mm-hmm. And but there's so many pop cans and stuff back there now from kids nowadays that it was just about impossible to to hunt it. But that really got me going. Yeah, that, that was a close to a cache, I guess, I'd, I'd ever found. Huh. How about dog tags? You find anything like that? Dog tags, tags? Yep. And... Got, some, got some nice dog tags. I've got uh, the best one that I've got, and I won't sell it. They've been after me to sell it, but it's it's from 1889. Mm. It's from the town of Henderson, Minnesota, which is a fairly small town over by 
uh, kind of over by Mankato area, okay. right up the uh, Minnesota River, mm-hmm. and it was number 10, so it would have been the number 10 dog tag from 1889, and I think the thing was lost even before the, it got put on the dog because it was just pristine condition, no oh. wear wow. whatsoever on it, and it's a, it's a rare piece, you know, I've been told. Right. Uh, I guess I've heard that anything pre-1900 is considered desirable. Uh-huh. Uh, and so I found, I think, a total of four from there. I've got a 19, no, 1890 from Minneapolis, and I've got a 1890, or was it 1890? Yeah, 1892 from Fountain City, Wisconsin. And I don't remember what the other one was. I think I got four of them that, that predated 1900. But I've also got quite a number of earlier ones, you know, 1910 to 1930s. In fact, I found in one yard, I found two consecutive ones from the same, uh, in the same yard. It was, they were both from 1923, and they each were one number apart as, as far as the serial number. So that person must have had like two dogs or something, and right. they lost them both at the same time or something. Right. Uh, yeah, that was kind of cool. Yeah. What kind of machine you run in these days? Mine Lab uh, Explorer SC Pro. Uh-huh. And I've had pretty good luck with it, but uh, I still use, and this is my favorite machine, is my old faithful uh, Judge, or not Judge 2, but uh, Garrett Freedom mm-hmm. 2. Oh, yeah. About 1976. Yep. Uh, I've got about three of them, and if I ever see another one, I'll buy it because uh, you can't have too many of them. But that, that is one awesome machine, especially for the type of hunting I do now, which is a lot of the street construction stuff, mm-hmm. uh, where you're not depending 100% on depth, mm-hmm. but you need good discrimination. And that thing is just a, incredible for its ability to, to tune out nails and rusty stuff and mm-hmm. and, and, and pick out the coins. It won't get super, super depth, but... Uh, you know that's why I'd use a mine lab then, but uh, that old that old Freedom Two has really been a, a good workhorse for me. Yeah, and they don't make the parts for that anymore either. No, I know it. Well, that's why I bought. I think I got three of them now, and one one is almost brand new. So because I had one, uh, but I've, a guy come in uh, the shop and wanted to get one fixed, and I sent it in for him, and Garrett yep. said, "Nope, throw it away and buy a new one." try that but yeah, yeah i know it i you know i'm sure there's a lot of good detectors out there that will do the same thing but that thing is so uh, has been so useful to me it just works so good in that kind of conditioning right uh, that you know i prefer to use that over anything else yeah gareth uh, puts out a good my, machine i'll tell you that well those old ones are really good i know some of the some of the models they came up with had some issues with their coils yep and uh, I don't really, it seemed back in the day, it, 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 you had a hot one or you had one that wasn't so hot. Right. And uh, I know my, the first one I had was one of those really good ones. And then I bought another one, and I don't think it was nearly as good. Mm-hmm. At least it wouldn't go nearly as deep, and it had trouble. Uh, you couldn't, I, I think you, you couldn't even eliminate a nickel, if I remember right. You turn the, the scrim all the way up, and it would still pick up a nickel. Huh. But... Uh, 
you know, it still works good. I still use it. I still find stuff with it. So mm-hmm. I'm going to continue to use it until I no longer find anything with it. But it's been a good machine. That's good. What about clubs? Do you belong to any clubs or? Yes, I started the club in Rochester. Um, What's the name of the club? Zumbro Valley Treasure Hunters. And we were established about 19, well, February of 1980. And the reason for the club being uh, there, I, I was detecting already for about six, seven years. And in 1980, if you remember, there was a big, is when the, when the silver uh, skyrocketed. Yep. Back in 19, early part of 1980, I think, is when silver hit its high. And it was, I don't remember how much it was now, but I remember at that, I think it was like $3.80 some cents for a dime. Mm-hmm. So it was like 38 38 times face value. Right. And, well, back then, because of the, the high price of silver, everybody and their brother were getting into metal detecting. And it was fine, except a lot of the guys that, that thought they were going to get rich quick decided they just did It didn't matter where they went. They'd go on private yards. They'd go anywhere they felt like it. And it was bothering me because I thought, you know, this is going to put an end to the hobby before it even gets started. You know, and there's and, still a lot of that going on with these new people buying oh, machines, I, you know, from... I, I totally understand, but the thing that really took the cake was there was a rumor going around here in Rochester that there was going to be a, a new ordinance, a park ordinance, that they were going to put into place. And I, for some reason, thought it had to do with, you know, the banning of metal detectors. And I thought, I can't have that. Uh-huh. So I went and approached, well... I and another guy approached the Rochester Park Department people mm-hmm. and asked them what the scenario was, and they said, no, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, it had to do with metal detecting, it had to do with dog ordinances. They were going to put a dog ordinance into place or something. Oh, okay. So it wasn't that. But then, the guy that was the president, or the head of the park board at that time, was kind of interested. He says, yeah, he says, you know, I've, I've seen you guys out and about, he says, what do you find, and what, you know, what can you do with those things? And and, of course, we told them, well, it finds coins, but we find stuff for people, return jewelry and whatnot, and this and that. And he thought, hey, that sounds like it would be kind of cool to have a, a group like you. And we were looking for a place to have a meeting. Mm-hmm. And he said, what we can do is we can, you know, put you in a place here in Rochester that we, we have control of, which was a nice old uh, doctor's mansion here in Rochester that they converted into a, a public sort of area they give tours it's sort of like a museum now mm-hmm. they, they give you tours and stuff of it but he uh gave us a room in the basement we had the whole room to ourselves, and uh and uh he offered to sponsor our club in fact the first several years they actually even printed our newsletters for us oh, wow. and he had the secretary print the newsletters for us that's nice well we were there we were there for we were there for 30 years and finally, one day we got a new, a new uh, director of Parks and Rec, and he put a kibosh to that. He thought, you know, they could be renting that room out for money rather than just giving it to somebody once a month. And to this day, I don't think they've ever rented that room out even once. But that's too bad. We found other places to meet. Yeah, but it was nice because we had a room that we could lock up. So we had our own library down there. Uh-huh. We could lock the room up and had the key for it. Nice. It was just nice. So yeah. uh, I've got to give the, the Rochester Park and Rec people kudos for, for their support back in the early days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so far we've been 
having good luck with them. We've not had any issues with metal detectors ever in Rochester, so let's hope we can keep it that way. But that was the main reason for starting the club. I wanted to to try and get people in, to enjoy the hobby, but to, to do it correctly and, and don't go to places without permission or places that you know are off limits. And back in those days, they didn't realize state parks were off limits. You know, mm-hmm. They were, even back then. So, right. uh, you know, it's just good that we didn't ever have any problems with that uh, ordeal. And not but make it a big competition to where, you know, that's I'm going to get something before you do or whatever. Right. Right, and you know we we we've always have have had a great group of people. Mm-hmm. You know it's it's slowed down tremendously in forty years, but you know what do you expect? You know the places are harder to find. People don't have as much patience. Right. And you know it, as much as I like the hobby, it's it's hard. I mean, you go out and you you might find one or two old coins, but you take the whole day in doing it, and it's like, well, what's more important to get that or or to mow the lawn and do your stuff? You got to do at home. And, Right. Uh, well, to me, it's always been the getting out and hunting because my my thing on that is I just enjoy getting out and doing it. I mean, there's times I don't even care if I find anything. I just want to swing the machine and I want to be in a spot. Just to be outside. Uh, yeah, where, the, where there's a potential of finding anything. You know? Right. If it's not old, I don't care. I'll go to the old school ground down the street. You know, it's been hit about 40 million times, but right. just to see if somebody might have lost something recently, you know, a ring or something like that. So, yeah, that's one advantage uh, I've got that I can walk over to the fairgrounds that's so within walking distance, or right. our Irvine Park has got 500 and some yep. acres to hunt. I mean, that those yep. places are well, not ever hunted out, and they never will be. No. You know, and, and one of the other things we've, we've always tried to stress in our club is, you know, we, we've, we've always tried to have some sort of a program at the meetings, which is getting harder and harder to do there. But right. uh, we've offered our assistance to the police here in town in the sheriff's department. Uh, we did some work for, with civil defense at one time, uh, locating valuable property markers, things like that. Mm-hmm. And we've also uh, participated in a, in a look uh, looking for parts from a crashed airline. If you remember back on the was that early 80s there was airlines flight uh, 232 that went from i want to say chicago but it went to it was going somewhere and it lost the engine over uh, middle of iowa uh-huh. it was the one that crashed it did that cartwheel crash landing in uh, in uh, sioux city iowa yep yeah i remember that well the the engine you know came off the off the plane somewhere before it it, it fell to the ground well it when the when the engine came off, it severed all the hydraulic lines that gave the, the ability for the plane to uh, go up or down. Right. And so that was the reason for the crash. So General Electric was the company that manufactured the engine, and, and they were, of course, probably worrying about getting a lot to it. And I think what's happening, I'm going to lose you here pretty soon because my phone's beeping at me. Okay. Well, let's see if there's any other... Oh, how many people were in your club when you started, and how many do they have now? Yeah, we've had as many as 65 active members, you know, back in the early to mid-80s, and now we're just down to a handful of, you know, maybe 10 or 12, mm-hmm. 14 people. But uh, What are the dues for try- in the club? I, I think right now I think they're $30 annually, 
or 35 if if you want to join as a couple. Mm-hmm. So, like you and your wife, it would be $35 a year, or if you just joined yourself, it would be like 30 Right. What about uh, email or website? Uh, how can people get a hold of either you or the club if they well, want to join? And where are the meetings got, held? The meetings are held at the First Ascension Church in Rochester, and I don't have the address right in front of me, but it's it's uh, right next to, to uh, a school. <laughs> I think of the school name. No, Willow Creek fine. Junior High School. Okay. Um, it's right on the edge of the south end of town. Will, uh, Willow Creek Junior High School is there, and it's right next to that. It's called Ascension Lutheran Church. Okay. And we meet the second Wednesday every month, 7 o'clock. And anyone that's wel- that's interested in coming is welcome to attend without you know paying dues. If they want to come and just sit through the couple of meetings and see what we do, that's fine. We're not going to charge you a, a full membership mm-hmm. just for the newsletter and everything else. But, um, you know, we've tried to have more and more meeting topics, but it's harder and harder to get people to, to come uh, anymore to, to talk to people. Right. We could get some of the same old people back that we've had, and we do. We have done that and done quite well at it. So, mm-hmm. uh but mainly we just like to get together and talk about the hobby and share what people find and have a find-of-the-month competition, which is kind of a fun type of competition event. We don't have any uh, major, uh, you know, we aren't giving out major prizes or anything for who's got the best. We just, you know, it's more of a recognition. You get your name mentioned in the newsletters about it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, but it's a lot of fun. We, we try to encourage people to bring in anything that they found so... We do that by anyone that enters, a, even if it's a pull tab, we, we take that and put, a, put their name in a hat for a drawing at the end of the meeting. So even if you find nothing more than a pull tab for the month, you still might have a chance of winning a silver quarter or something like that. So. Right, right. And they, anybody out there that's listening to this and wants to join the club, they can also get a hold of myself. I'm also a member, even though I'm in Chippewa Falls. My daughter lives in St. Charles, just outside of Rochester, and I get down there quite often. So that's one of the reasons why I joined the club, and I handle the uh, Facebook page for Zumbro Valley. Uh, so if they want to get a hold of me, they can also do that. Right. So, okay. Anything else that you can think of, Bruce, before we uh, close her out? Not really. Um, I just want to let you know, too, that a person doesn't have to invest a lot of money to get into this hobby. And an example of that is a fellow that used to be in our, our club. He lived over in La Crosse, found a $5 gold piece from the eight, uh, from Dahlonega, Georgia, Mint. It was dated 1842, and he found that with, with a Radio Shack detector. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was about a $30 detector. And so it can be done. And, uh, I'll bet you that was Pete Netzel, huh? Yep, yep. <laughs> yep, give him credit for that one. Yep. I know he found it because I saw it. Yep. So it was for real. Yeah, Pete told me about it, that you were hunting with him that time. Yep, yep. So. That's about all I can tell you here, Ken. Okay, well, I appreciate you coming on the show. And sure. uh, we'll probably have you on again down the road. Or, and uh, hope you have a great hunting season this year. I plan to be well, at I the meeting I- on uh, March 
uh, myself. Yeah, and check on that. Check on that meeting day because I'm not sure if it's Wednesday or Thursday this month. Randy okay. would know that. But yeah, I'll, I'll check with Randy and see. But myself and Mike Schoonover will be down, and uh, we'll take in the meeting, and I'll be bringing in a bunch of equipment like I usually do. You know, uh, well, machines and stuff. You know, we love we love to have you, Ken. So I'll try talk to as many people as I can think of to try and get them to come to that meeting, too. Yep. Uh, you know, some of the people that don't come that often and see if I can't encourage them to show up for that kind of meeting, because in the past, that's always been our best meeting of the year, is that one in the, you know, our, uh, March or May, you know, where, where we have dealers demonstrate what products are out and what's new and stuff right. for sale and things like that, so looking forward to that, too. Yep. All right, very good. Well, thanks again, Bruce, Thank for you. coming on, and like I said, happy hunting, and I'll see you probably in March. All right. Thank you, and take care. All right. You too, buddy. Bye. Bye. Bruce Kennedy from Rochester, Minnesota. He is the person that started Zumbro Valley Treasure Hunters in Minnesota. So if you want to get into that club, they've got a pretty decent little club going there, and you're interested in metal detecting, contact Bruce. Or you can get a hold of me, and I'll put you in contact with either Bruce or Randy, who is the uh, club president right now. So until next time, you take care, God bless, and happy hunting. Welcome to the Ken Briggs Show. Today we're going to be talking to a gentleman that has helped me a great deal when I put my book together. He is my mentor, and I want to thank him so much. His name is, he's been on here before on another show that I've had, and his name is Darren Kirby. And Darren's going to talk to us a little about, bit about it, another class that he has coming up. Uh, in Chippewa Falls, and I'll, I'll let Darren talk about that. Darren, thanks for the uh, welcome to the show. No problem. Thanks for having me, Kenny. I do appreciate it. Yeah. Okay, you're going to have another class. It's called A to Z Publishing, and it is an awesome class. I went through it in Eau Claire at the university, and I recommend a lot of people go through it if you're interested in doing your own book or got a partial book and you're stuck or whatever, Darren is the man to go to. Darren, tell me about a little bit about the class. Where is it going to be held? How much is it? And the whole nine yards. Sure. Well, the, 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 the class this fall is going to be held in Chippewa Falls this time. We're going to be holding it at the Heidi Center for the Arts up on the East Hill. Um, the class starts, uh, it's, it's coming up fast. It's going to start in seven weeks from when we're recording this. So it starts Monday, September 14th. Uh, the class runs for five weeks in total. Uh, each class is two hours, goes from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. in the evenings. And the cost for the class is $125 uh, per person. So that'll get you into the entire five-week class. Um, you can register on their website for it, or you can give them a call and register over the phone. Um, and seating for this is limited. They've only, you know, their rooms are only so big. Right. They're only giving me so many chairs to fill. So, right. Um, seating is limited. 
Okay. And it starts in September, you said. And what? Uh, how big is the course going to be, or how many people can they have in the course? Do you know? Um, that's a really good question. I'm I'm thinking like teens, maybe twenty-ish. Okay. Something like that. So not not a whole lot of of, of seats. Uh, right. For the class, so again, right. limited seating for that. So if you're interested, you know, better to to register, you know, before time runs out. Tell us a little bit about the class. What is does it consist of? The A to Z publishing. Yeah, the 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 class itself, as I meant, as I mentioned, is going to be five weeks. Uh, we kind of shortened it up uh, from when you had taken the class with me last, Kenny. We we had done it seven weeks at that point. Um, but for shorter periods of time. So we're giving the same information uh, in this five-week course. Uh, we're just condensing it uh, down a couple weeks, adding your uh, minutes onto each class to fit all the information in. Mm -hmm. um, but, but we're going to be covering a, a wide variety of information. We're going to, you know, starting with kind of the history of self-publishing. It's been around for ages. Um, and even some of the biggest names you might not realize uh, did actually start out self-publishing. Mm -hmm. uh, then we move into like the cost of self-publishing. There, it doesn't have to cost a lot, uh, but some things you want to know uh, what the cost will be approximately for doing certain services if you choose to hire those out. Um, we'll talk about cover design and formatting of of your work. When you format uh, for a print book, it's going to look vastly different from when you format for an ebook. Uh, we're talking about editing. You know, should you edit? Should you have somebody else do it? Um, who, what beta readers are? Do they do they even matter? Uh, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Where where do you sell the book? Once you've got the book done, um, where are you selling it? Amazon is is obvious, you know, to most people, but right. there's still dozens and dozens of other platforms to sell your ebook on and even your print book on. Uh, but you gotta know about them and know how to get to them. Um, We'll talk about marketing. People have websites and how to use those, um, how to create your print book. It, are there other places other than Amazon to go for your print book? And how does that work? How does that look? Um, and even so, some more basic stuff, like how fast should you write? What what kind of goals do you want for your writing? Um, I give you some resources to kind of look at you that, that'll help you along the way. And, and that's just kind of for starters. There's stuff I've just glossed over from this that, that we won't even – you know, I haven't even touched on yet, but it's all in there in, in the class for the five weeks. Mm -hmm. What about uh, copyright? What do they learn about the copyright and the ISBN numbers? Yeah, ISBN numbers are, you know, that that's an interesting animal. Um, there are, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what you need to know about ISBN numbers. You can choose to buy them and use them yourself, or you can choose to let, uh, to let other people provide them for you. Uh, what does that actually mean? And, you know, what does that look like when you're in the marketplace? And, you know, different people have different goals. So it, mm -hmm. it might be important for you, uh, depending on what your goals are, to have the ISBN number, to pay for that yourself. Right. And what do you have to do to kind of maintain that? Um, copyrights, that's really an important issue. And there's a lot of misinformation about copyrights of what, what can you do? Is, is there such a thing as a poor man's copyright? Um, and where, where do you go if you want to copyright your work? Um, what do you have to do? Where do you go? What does that cost? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk about all of that. Yep. Right. Yeah, and you're also your book goes to the Library of Congress once it gets the ISBN number correct. Uh, believe it or not, that's actually incorrect. Oh, uh, you would okay. have to apply with the Library of Congress uh, okay. to get a control number. Mm-hmm. And I know this because I've done this for uh, uh, an Eau Claire publisher. Uh, when I was working for them, we went through and, uh, and applied to the Library of Congress uh, for control numbers for certain books that we were doing. Uh-huh. And um, got the, they'll send you, once approved, they'll send you a block of information that you need to put at the front of your book uh, mm-hmm. verbatim, exactly as they give it to you, right? Uh, in order to put it in there. So, yeah, uh, applying to the Library of Congress is a separate step, and you certainly can do that. There's nothing wrong with with doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that again is a separate step. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it it's a you learn a lot from Darren's class. I I will say that it's great. I think anybody that's interested in doing this should get into it. What else do you need, need to know, Darren, for this class? Yeah, this, this class is really for anybody. If you've ever had interest in writing a book and in publishing a book, this is a class you should take. Um, it doesn't matter if, if you're one who wants to write a fiction book, maybe it's a mystery, a police procedural, uh, anything like that definitely come to the class if if you're wanting to write a memoir mm-hmm. uh, i i had a lady in one of my previous classes um she had she was a little girl when world war ii was going on in europe where she was mm-hmm. and she wanted to write down her that that history of mm-hmm. her and her parents going through europe and getting to america and letting her family know what that's like so a personal family history like that mm-hmm. um, not only is it good for your family but it's good for other people to again be reminded of of, of that history uh, yeah. that history is very important correct if you're writing poetry uh, people who are writing who are writing poetry who want to put it in book form uh, that way again great class for this I had a class I think he was in the same class you were in Kenny who was interested in in self-publishing for music books yes he and, was yep. uh, yeah and you know, any kind of book you can envision, you'll get a load of information out of this class for. So it's not for it's not for the for necessarily just for the professional or just for the person who's got it all figured out. Mm-hmm. Because I'll tell you, most people don't have it figured out. Yes. Even the ones that do no. secretly will tell you they don't have it figured out. <laughs> and, and I'll be the first to tell you, I know a lot. I don't have it all figured out because it keeps changing day to day, week to week. Right. Yeah, I found that out real quick when I took your class that, man, there's a lot more to this than what I realized when I wanted to do my book. Mm-hmm. I, I do recall you writing notes furiously every time the class was there, <laughs> and I think you were gonna you were gonna blame me for hand cramps or something like that. <laughs> no, I can blame myself because I got myself into this. <laughs> <laughs> But no, my my uh, my treasure hunting book it, it made it to Amazon and I've sold oh man close to eighty books already. So we're doing good that yeah, way. That's just incredible. Yeah. I'm 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 really happy for you. I'm great. I'm glad that you took the class. It made a difference in in that book and getting that done, and now leading you to your second and probably more books. Right. Yep. As long as the 
Good Lord be willing, let me stay on earth for a while. <laughs> Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, it's a great course. Like I said, I recommend it. Uh, they can get a hold of you, or how can they get signed up for this class? Yeah, you, you could call the Heidi Center directly. Um, their phone number is 715-726-9000. Uh, or you could go directly to their website, uh, the Heidi Center for the Arts. It's cv as in Victor, ca.net. And once you're there, go to their events section and search through their through their events. Ours, again, starts September 14th, runs through October 12th. They're Monday evenings uh, from 6 to 8 p.m. Cost for the class is $125. Uh, you can register for the class right on their website, uh, or they'll register you over the phone. Um, if you have other questions about the class or you're just not sure, is this really for me? Do you talk about this or something like that? feel free to to reach out to me directly. Um, you can go right through my website if you want, darrenkirby.com, and contact me that way. Um, you could send me an email if, if you wanted to, my direct email address, and I read all the emails that I get. So uh, I'll respond to you as quickly as I can. Uh, dlk.writer, W-R-I-T-E-R, at gmail.com. Okay, great. Anything else you want to add before we close? I think this is one of those classes that um, it's it's you you might have an end goal of getting a book written. Mm -hmm. um, you just don't know when, right. and that's okay to have that. There's a lot of information about self publishing that's out there, but there's a lot of misinformation, mm -hmm. and I try and address the misinformation to give everyone solid advice. So that even if they end up uh, farming out a lot of this, uh, they end up being smarter consumers and smarter authors because they know what to expect. And it's it's when you know that you have a lot of power in um, in negotiations and discussions. When you don't know, uh, you can get taken for a ride in a hurry. Right. And that's that's one of the main reasons that I like teaching the class is that I'm teaching you the facts. I'm telling you where to go. I'll give you websites. You can double check what I'm telling you mm -hmm. um, and, and know for yourself. Right. And, and knowledge is a lot of power. And uh, if, if you end up then doing a lot of this stuff yourself, you can save a lot of money. And for a lot of people, it's an enjoyment of understanding the process and doing something they never thought they could do before. And that's really a great sense of accomplishment, too. Yes, it is. And I was so happy when I got my book published that I uh, thought I'd never get it done. <laughs> <laughs> but, but here it is. Today you have it. You've sold many, you know, dozens and dozens of copies, and it's still selling. People yep. are interested. Yep. I just sold one yesterday again. So it's uh, I got great. I got a pile of books here that I sell at the shop, and... I sell them online, you know, at, at my site. And uh, if anybody's interested in treasure hunting books, they can contact me also and send me an email at Kenny at GroundViewMetalDetectors.biz. So, all right. I want to thank Darren for being on the show today. I appreciate you coming on, Darren. I appreciate you having me and letting me talk about my class. Well, that. I'll do that anytime you have classes. You just let me know, and we'll we'll uh, do a quick interview, and 
we'll get the word out there and try and get some people involved and to uh, go to your class. So thanks for uh, being on. You bet. Thank you. All right. Thank you.